All right then. Hello, willkommen, bienvenue, konnichiwa. It's time for the Arms Inquisition yet again. Episode 306 on Sunday, the 26th of November, 2023. I'm Phil. I'm Ben. I'm Matt. And tonight we're very happy to be joined uh, for the second time by historian and author Ralph Ellis. How are you doing, Ralph? Very good. Yes, thanks very much for having me on again. Good to be with you. So, uh, uh, love the intro. I look about 20 years younger on that <laughs> in- intro, so there, I we, approve. <laughs> we were just discussing that behind your back when you couldn't hear, because um, I think I got that from the Daily Telegraph or the Daily Mail or something. We was... Oh, Daily Mail, yes, yes. That was probably about 10 years ago. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I don't think you've aged a day, Ralph. No, not a day. No. Now, uh, yeah, um, you came on last summer, I think it was, summer 2022, and mm-hmm. we talked about ancient uh, Egyptian history and some biblical connections there between certain figures like Akhenaten and some of the patriarchs from the Old, Old Testament history and that. Um, so this week we were going to talk about uh, the apostolic era, which I think if you asked a lot of historians, they would say that this period is probably... One of the most significant periods in recorded history. Would you agree with that, Ralph? Oh, yes, very much. Well, it's been very influential. I don't think it was actually that great um, an incident when it actually happened, but because it became institutionalized into our religious life, it's become hugely influential, of course, for all three religions, you know, uh, of the Abrahamic religions. Yeah, and... Um... I guess the the reason you're here is because you have some some ideas, you've done some research, written books about this period and come to uh, very different conclusions than what you'll read on <laughs> Wikipedia or uh, reading a standard history textbook. Oh, yes, I've been banned from Wikipedia. <laughs> really? Literally. Um, they, they, they threw me off um, 12 times, I think. I've been thrown off Wikipedia. Don't tell anyone, but I go back under different names. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, they don't like this information, even though uh, they cannot tear it down very easily because it all comes straight out of the historical record. So I'm just using standard historical data. I'm just putting a slightly different spin on it, uh, a slightly different interpretation. But that interpretation does change things quite dramatically, even though the underlying story remains exactly the same. So same story, different context, basically. Um, And some people find that different context to be challenging, alarming. um, And they don't like it because it it challenges their perceptions of this story and their beliefs and their faith and everything else. And so a lot of people cannot accept it. Uh, Protestants, not so much. They don't. I've discussed this with um, standard C of E uh, priests, and they seem to be relatively open to it because they're fairly broad-minded. But anyone that's slightly more fundamentalist, of course, uh, they just hate it. So I've had various contentions with American fundamentalists, including Mormons, um, who dislike it intensely. <laughs> so they they've tried cancelling me, uh, and. Um, Robert Price. I don't know if you know Dr. Robert Price. Uh, He does quite a few of these discussions on the New Testament. And uh, they've tried to cancel him as well. You know, all sorts of slanderous uh, accusations. Not to defeat someone 
uh, on the topic, on the discussion, but just to try and cancel them. You know what they try and do is terrible. Yeah, that's a, a common trope, isn't it? If you, if you can't yeah. win, if you can't, well, it's like a football saying, isn't it? If you can't beat the player, beat the man or something, how's it go? Play the yes, ball, play not the, man, the man, not the ball. Play the ball, <laughs> yeah. not the man. Yes, yeah. that one. I nearly got there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's part of the reason for this controversy in that um, you're dealing with people's belief on the nature of Christ, the nature of Jesus. Yes, but in some respects, you might say that I'm living their dream because I'm showing him them the Jesus, the Christ, as they call him, in the flesh as a real historical character. I found this guy in the historical record. You would have thought they'd have been jumping up and down and saying, hooray, look, it was all true all along, you know, just as we told you. But they won't do that because the Jesus I've found is not quite the Jesus they've been believing in. Um, basically, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, he's a real king, not a pretend king. Uh, and that comes down to the the crux of this problem is how can you lose a king from history? So everybody has known about this history for 2,000 years, uh, and they all say that Jesus is a king. He was called a king at his birth. He was called a king um, at his uh, crucifixion and on numerous times in between, and yet somehow he's gone missing from the historical record. How do you lose a king? Well, the answer is when someone wants to cancel him, talking about cancel culture, um, he was cancelled because he had a dispute with Rome. And if you mix with Rome, Rome's going to delete you from history. And that's what they try to do, and that's effectively what they did do. Um, because largely, you know, I think some people knew about this. I think the Knights Templar knew all about this. Uh, that was the big secret that they held. That was the the big problem that the Catholic Church was afraid of is that the Knights Templar understood this information. And, of course, the Catholic Church didn't want it to come out. Um, but apart from that, for the last 700 years, I don't think anybody has known about this at all. So uh, it's been dead and buried, and nobody has understood this information for 700 years. Wow. So, I mean, where's a good place to sort of start this narrative then, this alternative narrative well, that you've developed? I think the first thing we need to do, I was going to um, start with trying to introduce Odessa and why Odessa is important to this story, okay. um, because people won't know what Odessa is. So what I'm going to do, first of all, is do a quick share screen so we can see where it is. Um, so if I go, oh, dear old Zoom, they have changed the... <laughs> They've, they've changed the screen for scaring. Um, scaring? For, for sharing. Okay. Um, yeah, it's got different um, functions. Okay, so now if I press that one, we should come up with a share screen that should have a map on it. Okay, bear with me. Do we have a map? <laughs> got Zoom. There was a map for a minute. It, there was, yeah. There it is. Yeah, that's not... You've got it. That's not, now, no, if I no, make no. that bigger that right. way... Oh, yep, yeah, you know... You, no, that I can was... make it smaller if you want. No, 
I'll just stay where you are. You might have because didn't last time didn't we have to stop uh, stop sharing and share again? Well, I, I can do that. Yes, so can, I can, can you try that, please, Ralph. I can do stop share and I can go screen share and screen share that page, and that should come up again. Is that looking good? One second. I just have to uh, mess with some settings here. I think Windows 10. There we go. We're getting there. Just need to resize this. Yeah. Reset transform. No, fit to screen. Blah, 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 blah. Enhance. Enhance, rotate. There you go. Magnify. That looks, that looks like we're on the screen. Is that, yeah, is we're, that good? Yeah, we're there. We're there. Yes. So go, we've go, got go, the map go. of the, the Near East here. Yeah, it's just to a spot where we're talking out because people will be unfamiliar with some of the names and terms we're going to be talking about. Um, so here's a map of uh, the Levant, uh, Mediterranean on the left, obviously, Judea down the bottom on the left. Um, you should be able to see my cursor going round and round. Is yep. that, You've got that you. visible? Good. Uh, Syria is all that lot where they're having all the problems at present. And if we go into North Syria, that is where the arrow is pointing. That is Edessa. <clears throat> so it's a independent city-state uh, in Mesopotamia, because it's across the Euphrates. The Euphrates is this line here. Um, and it was subservient to Rome, of course, because Rome sort of controlled this area. Now, there's a place over here on the right side called Arbella. Uh, that I will be calling Adiabeni. So if you hear Adiabeni, it's way down by Mosul over in Iraq. So it's a long, long way away. But this is the one we're going to talk about most of all. This is Edessa. Um, and this is where I think these people came from for well, many reasons. Sorry, uh, Ralph, where's Edessa in modern times? You might have mentioned it. Uh, San Lurfa, it's called. It's in, in uh, Anatolia. Oh, okay. And it's called San Lurfa. Not Tur- many people know of it. Turkey, is it Turkey. not? In Turkey, yes. I call it Anatolia because... Uh, that historically, that's what it was called. So um, I'm geographically uh, retarded, yeah. Challenged, yes. Challenged. No, in modern <laughs> Turkey, yes. Um, so it's uh, used. To, it was the first ever Christian city. Wow! But of course, if you go there now, um, there are no Christians there whatsoever. Is it's, there any uh, um, any Paul letters to the Edessans? Not to the Edessans. No, that's he was. He, he was uh, uh, evangelizing across the Mediterranean to the uh, west of modern Turkey and into Greece. Right. But I think they did go to Edessa, and we'll see that in a minute, but it's been covered up so you wouldn't know that they were in Edessa. Now, the other place uh, we need to know is down here. At the bottom of the map, you will see Petra. We're going to be talking about Petra. That's the Rose Red City. Um, by ruled by King Aretas of Petra, and there was a battle here in Perea, which we're going to talk about. So see how far it is from Perea all the way up to Edessa. Now, that's going to be important in just one minute time. So I will stop sharing there because I think we've finished with that. And um, I want to come on to John the Baptist because we want to introduce Edessa into this story. <clears throat> and I, I say that it's been deleted. And you'll see here 
that it has indeed been deleted. So I, I presume you're all familiar with John the Baptist getting beheaded um, and his uh, head being taken on a platter. Um, so John the Baptist, he was the cousin of Jesus, um, and he made a complaint. So this, this comes from the Gospels, of course. It's a very famous event in the Gospels. Um, that he challenged this marriage of uh, Herod Antipas. So Herod Antipas was one of the kings of Judea. And uh, he wanted to divorce his wife, uh, Pharsalus, and marry Herodias. And John the Baptist objected to this because he said the marriage was illegal. And... Uh, for his pains in pointing this out, and probably for some other political reason as well, he got his head cut off. Uh, and that caused ramifications within the New Testament story, um, the beheading of John the Baptist, but also it appears in real history. And a lot of people don't know that, that because most of the New Testament is divorced from real history. Um, but other people do talk about the beheading of John the Baptist. And one of those is Josephus Flavius, who is Judaism's greatest historian. He was a historian in the sort of late first century. He wrote all of the history of the Jews and then the history of the uh, Jewish revolt. And he's largely regarded as being historical rather than fictional. So we, we tend to believe what he says. So anyway, Josephus also talks about this beheading which is interesting because we have a historical uh, account of this. And Josephus says, Aretas, he was the king of Petra, remember, down in uh, southern Jordan. Aretas made war between him and Herod Antipas and raised armies on both sides and prepared for war. This would have been in AD 35, something like that. And when they joined battle, all of Herod's army was destroyed by the treachery of some fugitives from the Tetrarchy of Philip, i.e. From, from Syria, who joined with Aretas's army in order to defeat Herod Antipas. So there was a battle. Why was the battle? Well, because the daughter of King Aretas had just been sent home. Um, Herod Antipas had divorced her and sent her back to Petra. So the king of Petra was not, not terribly amused by this. And he sent his army up to punish Herod Antipas. But he was joined by some fugitives. So immediately you, you know that something is wrong here because Josephus knows everything that happened in the first century in Judea. So why is he not giving us the name of these auxiliary forces who joined with Aretas? He's calling them fugitives, treachery no less, of some fugitives. Well, it's because he has a bias, just like all of the news reports today where, you know, the BBC has this uh, stupendously left-wing bias, as does CNN and various other things. Well, Josephus Flavius had his wonderfully Roman bias, and he did what the Romans said because they were his paymasters, and if he didn't do it, they would probably cut his head off or something. Um, so Josephus is giving us the Roman version of this. 
But if we go across to Moses of Corinne, who is a historian from Syria, from Mesopotamia, um, he's a little bit later, but he gives us exactly the same story with a difference. So Moses of Corinne says, King Abgarus, now there's a new name before you, <laughs> he's, he's, he was the king of Edessa, so we've already right. arrived at Edessa. So he says, King Abgarus allied himself with King Aretas of Petra and gave him some auxiliary troops to make war upon Herod Antipas. This is the same account of the same events. Being sharply attacked, Herod's troops were defeated thanks to the help of the brave Edessans. As if by divine providence, vengeance was taken for the death of John the Baptist. Wow. Interesting. Now we have a different viewpoint. You know, if you're going to overcome a bias, you need two or three viewpoints. It's the only way to overcome it. And now we know who those uh, fugitives were that Josephus was talking about. That was the Edessan army. And that's interesting on many topics because the Edessan army came from a long way away. We've already seen how far it was. Uh, they came a long way um, uh, to join with this battle. Now, why were they there? Uh, well, no, before we get to that, we can also see that Josephus Flavius has his bias. He won't tell us who these people were. He calls them fugitives. Why is he doing that? Well, because he was ordered by Rome, his paymasters, never to mention Edessa, even though it was a very influential monarchy in this era, in this region. Their monarchs became the kings and queens of Judea in the first century, which not many people know about. Uh, and yet you go through the works of Josephus, and he never mentions the Edessan monarchy once. And he never, ever mentions Edessa either. So you know there has been a cover-up. But because we've got this second version of this same story, we now know who they were. This was the Edessans. But why were the Edessans down uh, in Judea or Jordan having this battle? Uh, well, it says here it was as if by divine providence that vengeance was taken for the death of John the Baptist. The only other reason, Petra was angry because his daughter had been sent home again. Yeah. Um, and so why were the Edessans down there? The only other thing that happened at this time was the death of John the Baptist. And it says it, that they were there, essentially, to take vengeance for the death of John the Baptist, which rather infers that John the Baptist belonged to the Edessan monarchy. Yes, through his mother, Otherwise, I guess. Yeah, why would they be down there? And that's exactly what Moses of Corinne is saying. It was vengeance for the death of John the Baptist. But that means John the Baptist was a prince or a priest of Edessa. So suddenly we've introduced, even at this first stage with one paragraph, we've introduced Edessa into the gospel story that one of the main characters in the gospel story, John the Baptist, was a prince of Edessa. That is how close um, Edessa is to this story. 
And of course, who knows about that? Who knows that John the Baptist was was an adescent prince? Nobody. Um, and that's the problem, uh, that this story has been changed um, so that a lot of this is being covered up. Some of the, um, um, Ralph, some of the alter, alternate history authors would say that Jesus and John were part of this uh, group called the Essenes. Yes, they probably were. Um, so the Essenes lived, uh, it was a, um, like a monastic community. I say they were probably actually a, a yeshiva, uh, which is a Jewish, uh, boarding school, uh, because education was always, uh, very strong within the Jewish community. And they had these boarding schools where you sent your sons away to the school, um, when I went to Qumran, and I've been there a few times, they've, they've even got some desks are still remaining. I could not sit on the desks. They were microscopic. So either they were very small people <laughs> or perhaps it was a school. Uh, it was a yeshiva. Um, but at the very least, it was a monastery. But um, the Adesans, it's down on the shores of the um, uh, the Dead Sea. The Adesans were known as the sons of Zadok. And the second in command of these people uh, who founded Edessa was called Zadok. So I think there is a direct link there between uh, the Essenes um, and the royal family of Edessa, because the royal family of Edessa were Jewish. We'll go on to that in a minute. They were proselyte Jews, so they were converts to Judaism. But they were Nazarene Jews, the same sect as Jesus. Jesus was a Nazarene. But they were slightly separate because to uh, the Nazarene means to separate. So we could sort of infer that they were like monks in a monastery, separating themselves off. And they didn't cut their hair, which is why Jesus has always got uh, long hair and beard, because... The uh, Edessans never cut their hair, right? And Zadok the same. is the ref. The, the importance of Zadok. Something's ringing my in my head that Zadok was one of the names of one of the high priests, the Jewish high priests. Going back, Zadok the priest. Yeah, that's where the name comes from. Right. And Nathan uh, crowned King Solomon. They even played that at the coronation of uh, Char Charlie Boy, Big Ears Zadok. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sadok the priest and Nathan. Yeah, it's, it's an old... Um, we, we prefer uh, to call him Lord Sausage Fingers on this podcast. <laughs> yes, I've seen that. Um, but Zadok, uh, if I remember correctly, yeah, Zadok just means justice. Right. So this is a name, because we get the two languages, and so you get these names in two different languages. And so the brother of Jesus was called Zadok, James Justice. James the Just, right. James the Just. Yeah. So he was James Zadok. So this was a common name amongst these people. Um, yeah, wheels within wheels. Yeah. So um, we can do this again. So we've introduced Edessa is something to do with the uh, um, New Testament story. But we can do this again and again. You read these passages. Uh, even if you're a devout Christian, you read these passages and they mean nothing to you. 
just like the John the Baptist passage, would mean nothing to you unless you had read the Syriac um, historians as well. Uh, and this comes out of Acts uh, 1128, um, which is about the famine. So it says, um, Agabus stood up and signified there would be a great famine throughout the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. It's probably about AD 50, something like that. Uh, and the disciples determined, so this is the disciples of Jesus. We know we're right in the center of the New Testament here. The disciples determined to send famine relief money uh, to their brethren that lived in Judea, which they did so, and they sent it by the hands of uh, Saul and Barnabas. So yeah, that doesn't mean a great deal unless you know the history of this region, um, because this famine relief money is very famous. We've got lots of mentions of it. Um, and the famine relief money was given by Queen Helena of the Adiabeni. Lots of new names here, but you know this is the history of the region that's not taught, but should be taught as a part of the uh, New Testament story. So Queen Helena... Uh, she's from the beginning of the first century. She probably died in about AD 60 or something. She became the queen of the Jews in AD 50. And people won't know that. Um, she had the largest palace and the largest tomb in Jerusalem. And uh, she became a Nazarene Jew. Uh, the Talmud tells us this. So the Talmud is the, you know, the book of law, really, uh, from uh, Jewish um, uh, religion. And, uh, yeah, she became a Nazarene Jew, the same sect as Jesus. And uh, she became the queen of the Jews in about AD 50. And it was she that sent the famine relief money down to Judea. This is a very famous event. Lots of people write about this. So here in the New Testament, in Acts of the Apostles, we have a similar story, but it's Agabus who's sending the money down to Judea. So what's the connection? Well, Agabus is King Abgarus of Edessa. So he does get a mention here. <laughs> They've changed the name slightly. We'll go through that in a minute. Um, but so what's the connection here between the king of Edessa and the queen of Adiabeni? Adiabeni was that place I showed you over by Mosul, uh, quite a long way away to the west, uh, to the east, which I don't think exists. And we've got good reason for thinking that because we have uh, from the Syriac historians, they say that Queen Helena was married to King Abgarus of Edessa. So she was the queen of Edessa. Right, we're back into Edessa again already. Second paragraph, and we're back into Edessa already. And if um, so sorry to interrupt, Ralph. If, mm. if if she was from the place near Mosul, that would wouldn't that fall in the Parthian side of the the divide? That's between, the problem with it. Yeah, um, why, how would she get into? <clears throat> yeah, um, it seems Judea. unlikely, yeah. um, and there is no archaeological evidence for Adiabeni whatsoever. I think. It's a distraction. It's a, a pseudonym that's been made up by Josephus Flavius because it's really Josephus Flavius that mentions this place. Remember that Josephus Flavius could not mention 
Edessa. He was banned from doing so by the Romans. And so he made up this name, Adjabeni, right. which people have um, assumed is linked to Arbella, which is near to Mosul. I don't think that place exists. And the fact that we have this information that she was married to the king of Edessa, I think means that she was probably actually an, an Edessan queen. And um, so that would make sense because she's the one that sent the famine relief money. And now in Acts of the Apostles, it's King Abgarus, who is her husband, who is sending the famine relief money. That's where the money came from. It came from Edessa. Now, the interesting thing about this is that money was sent down to Jerusalem by Saul and Barnabas. Saul is St. Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. So Saul must have been an ambassador of the Edessan monarchy. So again, two paragraphs, and Edessa is at the center of the um, New Testament story. Saul, the guy who created Christianity, because, of course, Christianity has nothing to do with Jesus. <laughs> I, li I like putting that one out, you know, because people are astounded by it. But if you've ever read the New Testament, you you'll know this. There were two churches at this time. There was the church of Jesus and James, yeah. which was a um, Judaic, Nazarene Judaic church. And then there was the simple Judaism of Saul. Um Saul had been out on his first evangelical tour across the Mediterranean, and he had been teaching sort of uh, Nazarene doctrine, um, and he hadn't been well received. And so at the Council of Jerusalem, he went to James, the brother of Jesus, and said, look, um, can I preach to the Gentiles? Because they seem to like this stuff. <laughs> and uh, James said, yes. He said, yeah, off you go, son, because he was only young. Um, he said, uh, yeah, these are the rules of simple Judaism for Gentiles. And they were, uh, don't eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Uh, don't drink blood. Don't uh, eat strangled animals because they still had the blood in them. Uh, and don't indulge in fornication. And I'm it probably out. means yeah, that, yeah, that's a deal breaker. Yeah, sorry, you're all out there. Uh, <laughs> um, I think he means incest by that because there was a lot of incest running around at that time. I know I was talking um, about the blood. <laughs> ah, right. No black pudding. Sorry, it's, it's off. Traditional breakfast is gone. I'm afraid. Um, those were the four rules of simple Judaism for Gentiles, and Saul went off across the Mediterranean on his second evangelical tour, mainly preaching to the Gentiles. And he built up his own Gentile church. He became the apostle to the Gentiles, as he calls himself. And his church, because he had as many um, adherents as he possibly could get, you know, the, the church of Jesus and James was only preaching to Jews. Jerusalem. So he had a very limited audience, whereas Saul could go to anyone and say, do you want to join? You know, as long as you put a few shekels in the, in the collecting plate, you're in. And his church became more powerful than the church of Jesus and James. And eventually, 
he defeated because of the Jewish revolt and various other things. He defeated them, and his church was the uh, was the 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 winner in this uh, little uh, religious battle, and his church became Christianity. Right. Yeah. Well, because... the church of yeah. Yeah, because James was based in Jerusalem and, and Paul went to Rome, and that was the heart of the empire. Uh, yes, yes, he did. He went to see Nero. Um, so, yeah, he won that battle, and uh, Christianity is the Church of Saul, not the Church of Jesus. So anyone who is believing in Christianity is believing in the enemy of Jesus. So, yeah, they're on the wrong side, really. Is it too um, late to give out a trigger warning? That's <coughs> <laughs> the old switcheroo. Christians. Um, yeah, you might need to put it in the subtitles maybe or something. Um, yeah, it's it gets a bit like that. But, I mean, that's what Acts of the Apostles says. I mean, even the first time I read it, I understood that that's what Acts of the Apostles was saying. Um, it's pretty obvious, but people gloss over that because... It, it interferes with their faith, of course. So they don't want to know about it. That's the point, Ralph. You mentioned before that that Paul <clears throat> wrote most of the New Testament. Yeah. Um, I get, I'm guessing most mainstream New Testament scholars would disagree with that. Oh, no. He wrote all of the epistles. Oh, the okay, epistles, some of the, right. But, I mean, Acts, um, Acts, for example, like most traditional that, scholarship would say that Acts was written by, by Luke, uh, the same author as Luke. Yeah, but Luke is is uh, Sauline as well. Um, it's it's been well known that um, Acts of the Apostles and Luke have been heavily influenced by uh, by Saul. Uh, remember, a lot of Acts is is the eye. There's this big eye section where it appears to be Saul actually speaking himself. Um, yeah, it's been well known that Luke and Acts has a lot of material from from Saul in it. I suppose the interesting thing is that. <clears throat> maybe with the exception of Mark, the epistles are probably the earliest Christian texts, aren't they? Yes, they are. You know, Lu uh, Luke and, and Acts are <clears throat> probably, you know, they could be second century when they were written. Um, well, people normally say uh, after AD 70, and that's important because why do they say that? Um, they say that because there is a lot of material uh, in the New Testament which comes out of Josephus Flavius. And that's a problem because it means that those texts must be uh, written after AD 70. And so they have to make up this story that, oh, between the crucifixion of Jesus in AD 30 and AD 70, when these texts were, were written, there was 40 years of oral transmission for no good reason. Why oral transmission? Oh, because they, were, uh, they couldn't write anything down. Um, they were illiterate. Oh, don't be silly. You've only got to read Josephus to know how literate these people were. Um, the reason why there's this 40-year gap in the, in, in the uh, text is because these events didn't happen until AD 70. And so they were written down immediately after they happened, but they didn't happen until AD 70. And that's a crucial thing you need to understand because... You can never, you can never find the basis of this story if you're looking in the AD 30s. It didn't happen then. The story happened in the AD 60s and in AD 70, um, and so we, we have this 40-year gap 
uh, between the two. The reason for this is the Romans didn't want you to know that this was all talking about the um, Jewish revolt era. Um, and we'll come on to that in a minute. I wonder if I've got a, yeah, I've got a, a, a nice graph here. Um, so if I do a quick screen share. Yeah. Um, and just pump that up. So that should be sharing now. Got it. Timeline. Yeah, timeline. This is by Lena Einhorn. So um, I wrote my book back in 97, including much of this material. But Lena Einhorn came up with this lovely graph, uh, which displays this conundrum uh, graphically. I'm making that too big, aren't I? Let me get a little bit smaller. Um, and what you see is a whole load of similar events. So each uh, color represents a similar event. Um, and what we appear to have here is a duplication of events. So we've got a whole load of events you can see from the New Testament on the top row, which all cluster around the AD, late AD 20s, AD 30, early AD 30s. So that's all from the New Testament. But if you go into real history, Josephus, all of those same events cluster up in the 19, is it 19? The AD 50s, AD 60s. Wow, that's really So there is a jump in the timeline where we seem to have a duplication of events. Why do we have that duplication? It's because the Romans have moved the timeline back again. Um, because they didn't want you to know that all of this gospel story was about the Jewish revolt. Because, well, you probably know that Jesus was a revolutionary. Everyone says, oh, yes, he was a, a revolutionary. Um, but what they don't tell you um, is what, what revolution was he involved in. Ah, okay, well, you know, give us a, give us a big revolution in the AD 30s. There wasn't one, AD 20s. Um, this was all about the Jewish revolt, and this Jesus character was the leader of the Jewish revolt, which happened in the AD 60s. It was from AD 66 to AD 70. But the Romans didn't want you to know about this, and so they pushed his story back into the AD 20s in order to divorce it um, from, uh, from real history. So you wouldn't... Rome didn't want you to know that you could actually um, revolt against Rome. And so this was a propaganda exercise to remove this history from the Jewish revolt era. And we have lots of information from the New Testament that sort of gives us this idea. The only thing that ties uh, the New Testament into the AD 20s is the mention of Pontius Pilate. Oh, right, yeah. Apart from that, there's nothing else. So we get things like... Um, Zacharias. So um, Matthew 23, 35, um, Jesus is lamenting the death of Zacharias. He says, <clears throat> the righteous blood shed upon the earth like the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, who you, uh, you killed between the temple and the altar. Well, we know who this guy is, and a lot of people have said this, even uh, Adam Clark, the famous theologian, 
from 1840, I think he was writing this, back in the 19th century. Um, lots of people said, yeah, this is Zacharias Baruch uh, or Zacharias Barakias. So in, in Jewish war, he says that Zacharias laughed at the zealots' pretended accusations. Uh, so the two of the boldest of them fell upon Zacharias in the middle of the temple and killed him. And he went down dead and they mocked him saying, you have our verdict. Ah, well, Adam Clark says of this, some think that Jesus here refers to the spirit prophecy, he has to say it in that way, uh, of the murder of Zacharias, son of Baruch, the one we've just been uh, reading about. Uh, a rich Jew who was judged, condemned and massacred in the middle of the temple by Idumean zealots because this was a very particular death between the temple and the altar. Okay, so Jesus was talking here about Zechariah, son of Baruch. Trouble is, he is an 8060s character. He was a leader of the Jewish revolt. That's a problem. Um, we then have Jesus uh, describing Jerusalem will be surrounded by uh, a wall and a trench. That is a description of the Jewish revolt. That was the siege of Jerusalem, when Jerusalem was indeed surrounded by uh, a wall and a trench. We have that from Josephus. And then we have um, the mention of uh, Zizit ben Hakasseth. Now, I think I'm the first person to have really mentioned this because I haven't seen any other historian mention this at all. Um, but Jesus says to the multitude, um, the scribes and the Pharisees lay heavy burdens on men's shoulders. Um, the, the people, he's meaning the aristocrats, enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels on their garments, and they love the uppermost rooms in the feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues, which again wouldn't synagogues. mean very... In the synagogues, yeah, Um which is odd because I think they mean the temple because they didn't really have synagogues, synagogues, really. No. Yeah, um, although there was a synagogue over in um, Tiberias. We'll talk about that later. They always say there were no synagogues, but there was one in Tiberias. Um, that sentence wouldn't really mean much to you if you hadn't have read the Talmud. And I think a lot of Christian scholars don't read the Talmud, um, which is the book of law uh, within Judaism. And it says there... Um, ben Zizit Hakaseth was so called because his tassels used to trail on the cushions um, as, as part of a, a section where they're making fun of this guy because he was too ostentatious, pretty much the same as Jesus was, um, because his tassels trail on the cushions, just as Jesus was saying, that they lengthen their tassels and they love the chief seats, the cushions in the synagogues. Jesus was making fun of the same person. And the name of the person is derived, it's a play on words with these things. Tassels uh, is a zizith, and a seat or a cushion is a kisseth. And his name was Zizit ben Hakaseth. <laughs> They're making fun of his name, as they always did in the, in the Talmud. Um the trouble is, Jesus was making fun of this guy when this was one of the leaders of the Jewish revolt in the AD 60s. 
again and again and again, we get these allusions to this being an AD 60s story. Um, and the best one, I think, because it's easy, more easy to understand, I think, is the one we get in our theory and legend. <clears throat> I've got this big book on, you, you showed the um, uh, cover of it in the, the start of this uh, program, um, The Grail Cipher. It's a 600-page book on a revision of our theory and legend. And people might say, well, you know, what's our theory and legend got to do with this? Well, the big hero of Arthurian legend is Joseph of Arimathea. He's a first century character, of course, out of, uh, out of the Gospels. Well, in, Alf in Arthurian legend, they have a problem with this guy because this is the guy that took Jesus down from the cross. Okay, so, well, Arthurian legend has to do the same. So they have Joseph of Arimathea uh, taking... Uh, Jesus down from the cross, and that would have been in AD 30. But then they have a problem because they say that Joseph of Arimathea was a knight, a soldier, working for Emperor Vespasian in the AD 70s. So what do they do? Well, they have to get him from one era to another one. So they say that after he took Jesus down from the cross in AD 30, he was imprisoned by the Romans. Uh, and in his prison, he went to sleep for three days and he woke up 40 years later. And suddenly he was in the AD 70s. And now he can be a knight working for Emperor Vespasian. You see what this, I call it the chronological chasm does. Anything that touches on the gospel story has a problem with this chasm because classical um, uh, Christianity has placed this story in the AD 20s and AD 30 when it actually belongs in AD 60, AD 70. And so they have to move Joseph, move, um, <clears throat> Joseph of Arimathea 40 years into the late AD 60s, AD 70, so he can be working for Emperor Vespasian. And that's interesting because who was the guy in AD 70 who took the leader of the Jewish revolt down from the cross? That was Josephus Flavius. That's, now, that's, that's tricky. So if, if you read the biography of Josephus Flavius, um, <clears throat> Josephus Flavius, we haven't been through who he is at present, but we, we should do that. Mm. Um, he, he was a Judean army commander that when he was fighting the Romans during the Jewish revolt, he changed sides and became a Roman. So now he's working for the Romans. After the siege of Jerusalem and the destruction of, uh, uh, of Jerusalem, he was on his way back from Tekoa, which is the south of um, Jerusalem. And he came across the three leaders of the Jewish revolt being crucified. <clears throat> so we have three revolutionary leaders being crucified by the Romans after a, a revolt. And he's a bit aghast at this, and they were his former compatriots. So he goes to the governor and gets permission to take them down early. They were taken down early, given medical treatment. Two of them died, and one of them survived. Familiar story? Yeah. Yeah, I think I know where this is going. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is the crucifixion story. But the trouble is this happened in AD 70, not in AD 30, as a result of the Jewish revolt. Now, who took him down from the cross? Well, in the biblical story, it was Joseph of Arimathea. Now, in this story, real history, it was Josephus Bar Matthias. Arimathias, Bar Matthias. Oh, so was that his name before he adopted Flavius? His his father's name, yeah, yeah, because that was only an adopted name from from the emperor. His name before that was Bar Matthias. Wow. Now, so Bar, Bar would mean son of, wouldn't it? He was. He, his father was called, um, yeah, his father was Matthias. And then that. And got... his brother was Matthias as well. Right. Um, that's a problem because it sort of is indicating that Joseph of Arimathea, who's this obviously well known character, because he suddenly appears in the story without introduction. A bit like sort of uh, Richard I coming back from the Crusades at the end of Robin Hood, and this king suddenly comes into the last scene in the film, and you're supposed to know who he is. You know, I'm Richard I. Well, he does exactly the same in the gospel story. You know, he suddenly appears at the end of the story, and everyone's supposed to know who he is, and he, he has sufficient um, authority to take this guy down from the cross who had, you know, been crucified by the Romans, so he comes down and pulls him down from the cross. Well, that's exactly what Josephus Flavius did. And he had that authority because he was a Roman army commander, and he had the ear of who was now the emperor, Emperor right. Vespasian. So he wasn't based at the court in Rome. He was on the ground in Judea as the revolt was being put down by Titus. Oh, yes. Yeah, he had been in Rome in the AD uh, 60s, right. but he had returned um, He had returned to Judea in about AD 64 or something, 65. Oh, yeah. Perhaps we ought to go through who he was, actually. Um, yeah. Because this is a bit... Um, a bit controversial, Well, right? Yeah, a bit interesting as well. We must go through the parable of the... Vineyard owner. Um, I'm just going to have to do a search term. Get some I've a- got a- uh, so many notes nowadays. My my notes are more like a um, encyclopedia <laughs> than they are notes, uh, which is always good fun. But anyway, um, yeah. So, who was? Saul is is the big question. And funnily enough, this is the first thing I solved. So I solved this back in the um, early 1990s, late 88, uh, 1980s, before I'd even written a book. Um, so this didn't come out in print until 97. Okay. With my um, Jesus Last of the Pharaohs book. Um. As soon as I read both of these books together, you know, and I'm not the first person to have seen this because uh, every large wealthy household would have had a Bible on their bookshelf and next door to it, they would have had the works of Josephus because the two complement each other. And, you know, the English translation of Josephus was out 
by William Whiston. He's got to be 18th century, so it's been out there a long time. So anyone reading the New Testament and Josephus would have seen this similarity, but they wouldn't have accepted it because they didn't want to accept it. So they probably just turned the other page and carried on as if nothing had happened. Um, so who is Saul? Because this is the guy who created Christianity. We've already been through this, you know. He was the apostle to the Gentiles um, who created simple Judaism, which we know as Christianity, and yet nobody knows who Saul is. It's a bit odd that, you know, the guy who created Christianity has gone missing from his from from real history. Um, so who was he? The only way we can find out who he was is by comparison of two people. So the, both of these people, Saul and the guy I'm linking him with, they were both Jews. They were both raised in Jerusalem. They both had Roman citizenship. That's odd because not many Jews had Roman citizenship. Both educated as Pharisees. They both became rabbis. Um, they both preferred short hair. We've already talked about the Nazarene always having long hair, which is why Jesus is always portrayed with long hair. Um, both of these people preferred short hair. Uh, Saul even says, um, does nature not teach you that long hair is shameful on a man? So he was not being classical Judaic, even though he was supposed to be a Jew. That comes from 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen, I think, on that one. Um, both were working uh, with the Jerusalem authorities against the Jewish revolutionaries. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, both had a vision of a man and changed sides, so they had a flash of inspiration and changed sides. They both traveled widely in Europe and returned to Jerusalem. Uh, they were both very controversial characters. And I think more importantly, both of them were on the same prison ship sailing to Rome to go and see Nero. Um, so this was a prison ship uh, leaving from Caesarea. It was called the Castorum Pollux. So they even had ship names in those days. Uh, and it was shipwrecked on Malta. So both of these people were shipwrecked on Malta. That was interesting. Um, so just, just um, quickly, Caesarea, where, where's that? Caesar, oh, Caesarea is just on the uh, the coast of uh, Judea. It was one of the. It was the big, big port Jewish city. port. Yeah. yeah. So they were both shipwrecked on uh, on Malta, and uh, so they both had to swim for their lives onto uh, Malta, and then later on the next season they were taken to uh, Naples, um, where they went to see Nero. Now, what's the chances of these two people being on the same shipwreck in this era? Um, and they both uh, wrote many letters around Jew Jewish communities around Europe, and they both had the same publisher, Epaphroditus, um, who was also the um, scribe for, em for Emperor Nero as well. Epaphroditus was the guy who killed Nero. Um, so, yeah, lots of interesting 
<laughs> Sorry, I, Lots I, of interesting... you made me want to interrupt every 10 seconds. So Neil, yeah, Neil didn't on, commit, su- on, he didn't commit suicide then, did he not? Uh, he was helped. Oh, OK, OK, that's it. He, he could not do it himself, so Epaphroditus was his scribe and he did it for him. Got you. <laughs> um, and it could well be the same Epaphroditus that was actually the scribe working for uh, Saul and for this other guy. So who was the other guy who mimics Saul so closely? Uh, that was Josephus Flavius. Ah, now that's interesting because nobody would want Josephus Flavius as being the main author of the biblical stories because Josephus Flavius was just an atrocious person. Um, He was the greatest narcissist there's probably ever been. He was a, a complete egotist. There was only one thing and one person that was important to Josephus uh, and that was Josephus. So nobody would want Josephus to be the um, main author of the uh, gospel story. And people have said, no, it can't have been because um, Josephus was born too late. He was not born until AD 37. So how can he be on these evangelical tours in AD 52? Well, of course he could, because you you... You go through your bar mitzvah age 14 and you're a man. So you can get married, you can have, uh, you know, a career, a wife and everything else. Um, And who do you choose to go on evangelical tours? As I always say, if if you get a knock on the door and there's a couple of Mormons there, you don't get a couple of old geezers, you get a couple of youngsters. And... um, you know, if, if they knock on my door, I don't shut the door in their face because that would be rude. No, I, I open the door and I let them in and I close the door behind them. And then I've got them for the next two hours. <laughs> <I can. laughs> Until they're clambering to get out of the door, you know. <laughs> ah, let me out, let me out. Um but anyway, yeah, that's what you get. If, if you get a couple of evangelists come around, you get a couple of youngsters because you can't do this later in life, you know, when you've got a family and a wife and a house and God knows what. Um, so you send out the youngsters to do this job. So, yes, sure, um, Saul could be Josephus in terms of age. But in terms of explaining what was going on, this is very explanatory. Because um, how was Saul, um, I wonder if I've got a quote here. How was Saul sending people to prison? Um, Let's see if I've got a quote for you. Yeah, Saul says... um, Saul made havoc on the church, entering into every house and committing them to prison. I persecuted them unto death, binding and delivering men and women into prison. How was Saul doing that? Saul was supposed to be a tent maker. How does Saul arrest people, put them in prison and um, execute them? Uh, Tricky that, you know. Um, it almost sounds like he was the chief of police. Well, 
If he was Josephus Flavius, we know exactly how he was doing that because Josephus Flavius was the chief of police in command of Galilee. So after his little escapade down in uh, Rome, when he went to see Nero on this uh, on this ship, um, he was there for a couple of years or more, came back to Judea in AD 65, just as the Jewish revolt was breaking out. And as soon as the Jewish re revolt broke out, there was no Roman command anymore in that region. And so the authorities in Jerusalem appointed commanders to be in command of each uh, region. And Josephus Flavius became the army commander in command of Galilee. And as the um, army commander, what was he doing there? He was chasing a guy called Jesus around Galilee. This comes from real history. He was chasing this guy called um, Jesus around Galilee. Now, what was Saul doing? Ah, oh, yeah, he was chasing a guy called Jesus all around Galilee. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Um, so it's exactly the same. So this becomes explanatory. Now we know how Saul could imprison these people. He was Josephus Flavius. That was his job. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was persecuting this guy called Jesus, Jesus of Gamala, Sophias. And interestingly, this guy called Jesus... This is from AD 66, AD 67. This guy called Jesus was the uh, rebel leader of 600 rebel fishermen. <laughs> now, who was the leader of rebel fishermen in this era? You know, it all begins to tie in together, which is why I, I like this explanation because it's, it's not an explanation in isolation. There's a lot of reasons for suspecting um, that it might be true. So I've got some, we can have a look at uh, a few images. Let me do a quick screen share. So if I take that and share that. Oh. Uh, yeah, that's just... Um, a picture on a church of the, um, this is the shipwreck. This is the shipwreck of Saul. I just thought it was a nice um, image of the shipwreck. Yeah. It's fairly famous within the uh, biblical text. That is also, although you can't see it, let me make it a bit bigger. That's the shipwreck again. Yeah. Um, this I thought was interesting. This was Saul having his flash of inspiration. Uh, this comes from Germany. This is a church in Germany. I just thought it was interesting that they dressed Saul as a Roman army commander, as a soldier, uh, which he was, if he was Josephus Flavius, he was a soldier in command of Galilee. So I thought that was interesting. Um, this is Josephus, if people don't know who he is. Um, the museum that holds this bust says, no, it's not Josephus. Um, because it has no attribution on it, but everyone takes this as being uh, an image of uh, Josephus because he would have been clean-shaven in the Roman fashion. So this was unusual mm. for a Jewish guy to be clean-shaven. That's why a lot of people think this is um, Josephus Flavius. Um, but I was going to quickly just jump onto this because we were talking about 
Galilee. <clears throat> I don't know if you know, but the um, primary symbol of Nazarene Judaism was the zodiac. Right. Okay. Uh, so the yeah, the primary symbol of, of Judaism is the zodiac, and a lot of people don't know that because it's not widely discussed. And this comes from a synagogue. We were talking about synagogues. This comes from the Sea of Galilee, um, just below Tiberias. Um, and it's a marvelous uh, zodiac. This is like about five meters across, so it's huge. It's large. Um, and it's Judaic. You can see it's all in Aramaic. Um, and above in the register above, there is the Temple of Jerusalem and the Ark of the Covenant and uh, the shofar and all sorts of other things. So this is most definitely a uh, synagogue. Wow. But the primary symbol in the synagogue is the zodiac. And worse than that, the primary symbol in the zodiac is Helios, <laughs> the Greek sun god. Um, what's he doing in a Jewish synagogue? You know, I mean, you, you can't have in images of animals <laughs> anyway let alone the Greek Helios. Uh, this is how radical Nazarene Judaism was. It was not classical um, Judaism. And in fact, we have a, um, a paragraph from uh, Josephus Flavius saying that he was sent by the Jewish authorities to destroy this zodiac because it had blasphemous uh, images of animals in this palace, he calls it. And it's quite obviously because he was sent to a palace that was four furlongs south of Tiberias. And if you go four furlongs south of Tiberias, you come to this place on the Sea of Galilee. So create, it's quite obvious he was... Create, sorry, create no graven or molten images. Yeah, oh, absolutely. A Within dozen of them, Judaism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Who's that's that in Christianity the, uh... as well. And of course, in Christianity, we tend to ignore it in Christianity too. But uh, very unusual in a synagogue to have uh, ignored that uh, first commandment. Because I think it is, yeah, I think it's the first. No, the first one is you shall not have any other gods but me. Yeah. Which means mm. probably there are other gods, otherwise you wouldn't exclude them. Anyway, um, I think the second or third one is no graven images. So. Who's the uh, who are the guys in the corner there, Ralph? There's one at the bottom left. Oh, the, like they, they are the seasons. Thorns. Yeah, oh. they're the seasons. So that I think this one is spring over here, and this one's autumn, maybe. Uh, no, that must be autumn. This must be winter because this is the you know the fruits oh. of of. Ah, uh, um, oh, yeah, spring of, will of be top harvest. right because it'll be it'll be you know that's February March top right so that'll be spring oh, oh, but do remember this is a processional zodiac this turns backwards all oh, right a lot of people being um are confused by that it goes backwards it's anticlockwise um so that's because it's a processional zodiac and a processional zodiac actually gives us a date i, I presume your listeners will be familiar with procession will they definitely yeah. Yeah, so this is indicating the, the great months, and each great mm. month is 2,000 years long. So you can see that the head of Helios is pointing at the join <gasps> oh my between gosh. Aries and Pisces. Entering the age of Pisces. Wow. So it gives us a date, yeah. It gives us a date. And Jesus <laughs> was the first king of Pisces, the first of the Fisher Kings. Exactly, yeah. So exactly. it gives us a date of first century. Oh, that's wild. 
I, I like it. it. <laughs> <laughs> what a And fight. better than that, if oh. we do a quick zoom in, yeah. you'll see that Helios is holding a sort of blue-green spherical earth. Oh. oh, yeah. He's holding the earth in his gravitational grasp, and you can see it's got lines of latitude and longitude that are curved. So this is a sphere. Yeah. So this was long before Copernicus, and they knew all about it, and they knew the, the heliocentric model of the universe, of the solar system. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was the level of knowledge they had within the Nazarene church. So that's always interesting. And there were lots of these. This is the one at Sephorus. More difficult to see because it's broken, but you can see Helios is in the center there. And it's got the sun and the moon in this one. You can just about see sun and moon. And then the zodiac characters around the outside. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So these were quite common. Um, this one's interesting because this is a Christian one. This comes from the 6th century, again on the Sea of Galilee, um, at um, Betxian, which is just on the south end of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and this one comes from a, a, a Christian monastery. And so they've adapted this, so it's no longer signs of the zodiac, it's men Saints. as months of the year. Right. So you can see it's all, all in Greek. So down on the left here, you can see Aprilos, Meios, Unios, and then on the right, we've got Octobrios, Novembros, etc., etc. Um, so exactly the same as we use today, um, the same months. But of course, remember the months and the signs of the zodiac go round together. Was this a Christian so you, one, Ralph? Are there, are those yeah, this is Christian. This is in a monastery. Think, think. Ah, well, yes, you're ahead of me there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so who was the man and the woman surrounded by 12 disciples? Is it Jesus and Mary Magdalene? Yeah, Oops. but that's interesting in, in a church, isn't it? In in a uh, a monastery. Well, yeah, be they've got an absolutely. They've got Jesus and Mary as the sun and the moon. You can see he's got the spikes of the sun, and she's got the moon Sacred on her head. And uh, yeah, so this is Jesus and Mary surrounded by the twelve disciples. Wow, who are representative of the signs of the zodiac. That's why there are twelve disciples. That's why there were twelve houses um, of. Uh, you know, the sons of Judah, the um, uh, the 12 houses of Judaism. Um, it's all to do with the Zodiac. Great stuff. Um, and we can take this further because we have exactly the same in Arthurian legend. Uh, it's probably too go early to go on to this because I've got a whole book on Arthurian legend. But this is the uh, this is the Round Table of Arthur uh, in Winchester. I don't know if you've been to see it. It's well worth seeing, actually. It's a very good. Um, so this is very old. This is like eight hundred years old. This table, and they've put it up on the wall there, so you can see it. Um, but if you read Arthurian legend, this is not a round table. This is a zodiac because the round table of Arthur was based on the last supper table of Jesus. And it specifically says there were three tables that were made. There was the last supper table of Jesus, which was round. It wasn't 
rectangular like uh, Leonardo drew it, um, with the 12 disciples around it. And then there was the round table of uh, Joseph of Arimathea. He had his own round table. And then there was the round table of King Arthur and his 12 knights. Um, so the knights of the round table and the disciples of Jesus are exactly the same. And remember that the disciples of Jesus were all armed. Jesus told them to go out and buy swords. So they were all armed. Um, and so, yeah, this is the Last Supper table. But the Last Supper table, as we've just seen previously, the Last Supper table was a Zodiac. So this, I think, was the Last Supper table. Because remember, in, in this era, in this sort of region, they didn't, sit at tables they didn't have tables that's a very sort of um, you know northern european habit uh, down in this part of the world you sat on the floor yeah. like you do if you go out to iran or iraq or pakistan or something you sit on the floor on a cushion this is why zizit ben hakasith had, had cushions big cushions um so i think this was the last supper table what would happen is that the disciples would all be linked to a particular sign of the zodiac and they would bring their cushions and sit at this table and this is where they would eat and the jesus character here's the jesus character would sit in the center so he would literally sit in the center of the table un unlike um the uh, winchester one where they've managed to jam the king on the top no he would have actually sat in the center of the um, last supper table because it was not only a table, it was instruction. You could actually instruct um, the disciples how procession worked, how the signs of the Zodiac changed, how to do prophecy, maybe, from the uh, changing signs of the Zodiac, why Jesus was the first of the Fisher Kings, the Arthurian Fisher Kings, uh, because he was the first king of Pisces. Um and, and this is also why King Arthur became... Well, I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit, but I, I can give you a bit of a tantalize. Why not? Um, <clears throat> this is a standard zodiac, and you can see in the center of the zodiac there is the sun. That's fairly standard. Sun is at the center of the solar system. But if you stand on the Earth and look up at the night sky, you might see this instead which is the signs of the zodiac. And in the center, we have um, uh, Ursa Major, which is known as the Great Bear, Arcturus, Arthur. from which we get King Arthur. Yeah. yeah. So Arthur was also the guy who sat at the center of the table, just like the Jesus character sat at the center of the table because he was Arcturus. He was the Great there, surrounded by his 12 knights of the uh, round table. So, yeah, that's a little little extra bonus, yeah. Cool. Nice. Um, yes. So how, yeah, Any, anything else before we move on to another topic? No, I was going to say, because we've blown over time, we've already gone like an hour and 15, Ralph, and... Oh, I um, haven't even started yet. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you do like an 11 hour stream once? Yes. <laughs> well, actually, the longest we did was five and a half hours, and then he stuck two of those together and made 11. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> I mean, there's just so much to go into. Mm. I don't want to... Well, you can break it up. I, I, do you do pre-record? Because you can break it up later if you want. I th- well, I would like to, you know, do an episode just on Arthurian stuff at some point in the future. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, we it... haven't finished on Jesus yet. That's what I mean. Do we need to... <laughs> what do we need to do? Can we um, wrap up the Jesus stuff? Like fairly quickly, or would that be doing it a disservice? Yeah, I, I could wrap it up in the next fifty minutes if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like ten. <laughs> Is that even possible? Um, no. well, sort of a little bit. Um, no. And any questions from the floor? Maybe uh, anything that's not clear, perhaps first. I'm I'm happy. I think we've got you know the timeline is skewed. It's thirty years mm. too early. Um, mm-hmm. Flavius Josephus is Paul, the apostle, uh, Paul the uh, evangelist. Um, I think that they're, they're the two big takeaways for me. Yeah. Oh well, well, just to finish it off, if you want to finish it off in ten minutes, um, the <laughs> the the parable that knits all of this together um, is probably the parable of the vineyard owner. So uh, let me stop sharing because we don't need to share anymore. Okay. Uh, there we go. Back again. Um, what was this all about? We were talking about the Jewish revolt and how that Jesus was a leader of the Jewish revolt. Um, what was that revolt about? Well, if you look in a classical history book, they'll say basically it was an internal domestic dispute uh, within Judea. Nothing to do with anything else, honest, really. Um, I don't believe that's true. I think this was a revolt against Rome. And that's why they ended up with a crucifixion, because he was going against Rome. Remember, this had just happened just uh, six years before. Um, I'm just trying to remember when the uh, Druids revolt. So uh, they had the Druids revolt in Britain in the early AD, um, AD 60s. Right which resulted because they went to Anglesey and they destroyed all of the uh, Druids. And then they came back and they had the Iceni uprising. And the Iceni went around and destroyed like four or five Roman cities completely. Yeah. Absolute mayhem in, in the country. Boudicca. And, yeah, with Boudicca. Uh, and Rome didn't want that, so they had that in the back of their mind. Uh, and so they wanted a um, political... Uh, result as as well as a military result um, because they'd already had this big defeat in Britannia. Uh, So that's what the story was all about, I think. It was more of a revolt against Rome than something um, uh, domestic. And we get this. Sorry, Ralph. I mean, mean, it's kind of opportunistic as well because we've just had the year of four emperors in 69. Uh, We've had loads of infighting within Rome. It was perfect time to sort of stage an uprising, wasn't it, in this time It period? was, absolutely. I mean, by AD 66, everybody knew that Nero was a dead man walking. And he, he, was, um, uh, he was put out of his misery by Epaphroditus in AD 68, who might have been Saul's, <laughs> Saul and Joseph's publisher. Um, publisher yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, absolute perfect timing. The throne of Rome was empty. It was open to whoever had the largest treasury and the largest army could march into Rome and take it, which is effectively what Vespasian did in the end, of course. Um, so then we come to the parable of the vineyard owner, which is from the Gospels. This is Matthew 21, 33. Uh, I think there's a re- 
repetition of this in Mark as well. Um, it says there was a Lord who planted a vineyard. So Jesus, this is from the mouth of Jesus. There was a Lord who planted a vineyard and let it out to a tenant and went to a far country. And when the harvest draw, drew near, he sent his servants to the tenant so he might receive his rent. But the tenant took the servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. So when the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? He will miserably destroy those wicked men and let out his vineyard to another tenant who will pay their rent on time. <clears throat> so this is um, Jesus, the man of the people, in his cloak and his sandals, uh, and he's upholding the right of absentee landlords to kill their tenant if they don't pay their rent on time. What does this have to do with, with you know, the classical Jesus? Uh, and it, it's quite fun to read the sort of classical interpretations of this, you know, from the church, because they, they spin this in all sorts of different fashions to try and get around it. Um, but it's quite obvious what it's talking about. This is the AD 60s. So all we need to do in order to understand this is change um, the the Lord is the king of Edessa because Jesus was the king of Edessa. We've not even been into that, actually. Why was Jesus the king of Edessa? Um, so the Lord was the king of Edessa. Um, the, the vineyard was Judea and uh, Syria, uh, and the tenant was the Romans. And the thing is, of course, that the Edessans owned these lands. It was their land. It was their vineyard. Uh, and the Romans were on it. So if we make those slight adjustments and read that again, it becomes there was an Edessan king who had lands in Judea. Yes, uh, Queen Helena was the queen of Judea. And let it out to the Romans and went to a far country. Yes, he went back to Edessa. And when the harvest drew near, he sent his servants to the Romans that he might receive his rent for his lands. But the Romans took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. So when the Edessan king of these lands comes, what will he do to these Romans? He will miserably destroy these wicked Romans and let out his lands to another tenant who will pay their rent on time. This is what it was about. This was a tax dispute and a land dispute because the Romans were on Edessan lands. They considered to be uh, these lands to be theirs. And not only were the Romans not paying their rent to Edessa, they were demanding rent from the Edessans. These were the worst tenants in the world. These were tenants who actually uh, demanded rent from the landlord. And that's what this parable is actually talking about. This was the dispute that caused the Jewish revolt. And um, just to finish up, because we've not really been into why Jesus was the king of Edessa, but there are quite a lot of reasons. The king of Edessa at this time was called King Jesus Manu VI of Edessa. And Jesus' name was King Jesus Emmanuel. Of Judea. But remember, this king of Edessa was the king of Judea as well. So that explains this. Um, uh, is this the, the coin? The... Yes, I was just going to um, display the, um, the coin. 
So, but also I was going to have a quick look at the, uh, the verse. Um, anyway, there's a verse, um, the beginning of, of uh, Matthew that says, there was a prophecy that um, uh, Jesus will be called Emmanuel. But that prophecy does, is meaningless because Jesus was never called Emmanuel throughout the whole of the New Testament. So what's that prophecy talking about? Well, it's just a little hint for those people who had been initiated, who are in the know, that the Jesus character was called Emmanuel. And you would only ever understand that if you knew Edessan history, where the king of Edessa was called Manu, Emmanuel. Um, so the prophecy was just a confirmation for people in the know that this was the Jesus character. And, of course, when Jesus was, was, was crucified, he was crucified while wearing a purple cloak and a crown of thorns. Now, the purple cloak is the symbol of the emperor. You don't dress up in Rome in a purple cloak if you don't want to be uh, executed. Uh, so by putting a purple cloak on Jesus when he was crucified is indicating that he was a pretender for the throne of Rome. And this is exactly what the Jewish revolt was about. They didn't want to just take over Judea. This was a stepping stone to taking over the whole of the Roman Empire. And that was the goal uh, of these Edessan kings. They obviously lost in the end, and it was Vespasian who went to, to Rome to become emperor. But um, he was also crucified while wearing a... And I'll just do a quick share. A crown of thorns. Bang. There it is. There we go. And, of course, all of the Edessan kings wore a crown of thorns. And this is the standard crown of thorns that all of the Edessan kings wore for about 300 years. And as you can see here, he has a domed sort of bishop's mitre, you might call it, uh, which is covered in thorns or some sort of spike. We don't quite know what the spikes are, but he is wearing a crown of thorns. So it's not the standard bunch of brambles that they will put on it because they want to try and persuade you that Jesus was a pauper prince of peace, but he was nothing of the sort. Um, no, the crown of thorns was a proper papal sort of mitre, a royal mitre uh, covered in thorns. Is there any um, uh, textual references to Edessan kings wearing crowns of thorns? Or just this visual no, one? Just the visual one, although we have loads of these coins. So we have hundreds right. and hundreds of these coins. So Of the they same all king have, or different kings? No, of, of different kings. Okay. But they all have, uh, apart from Wael, who's the only king who doesn't wear the crown of thorns. Right. Uh, but this goes right back into the very early days of Edessa, right back to the first century. We have... Uh, coins of them wearing a crown of thorns. Cool. So this was a big, long tradition. And we don't know what the thorns were. We don't know what this signifies. Um, so it's a matter of guesswork. I was wondering if they might be feathers from the uh, phoenix, because the phoenix was intimately uh, connected somehow with the, the, this shape, this domed shape of the Elagabal. Um, yeah, but we don't exactly know why it has thorns. So, yeah, this was the goal of, of the Jesus character. He wanted to become the um, emperor of Rome. 
that was the reason for the Jewish revolt. And effectively, that Jewish revolt became the last battle in the year of four emperors that you were talking about. Um, so in one year, four emperors came and went. They all threw their hat into the ring, you know, wanting to be emperor. They all came along with their armies and they were all defeated by someone else. And then we came to the last battle. So it really, it wasn't the year of four emperors. It was the year of five emperors. <laughs> and the last battle was between Vespasia, who, who was only a commander at that point, commander Vespasian, and uh, Jesus, uh, King Jesus Manu of Edessa, the Jesus character. And they had this almighty battle in, uh, in Judea and in Jerusalem, not for the throne of Jerusalem, but for the throne of Rome. And whoever won this battle was going to sail to Rome as the next emperor. And of course, King Jesus uh, lost that battle, and it was Vespasian who sailed to Rome as the next emperor. But if Jesus had won this battle, then it would have been Emperor Jesus, would have been the next emperor of Rome. So we would have had a, a Nazarene Jewish uh, emperor of Rome. Hence Vespasian pa pa patronizing Josephus to write this guy out of history. Precisely, yeah. So Josephus Flavius became the scribe, uh, the, the pet <laughs> Jew of Vespasian, who wrote this story. And, of course, Vespasian said, as you just said there, write this guy out of history. Include him if you want, because what Vespasian wanted is because of the um, uh, the uprising in Britain with the Druids, he knew that a military solution was not the full solution. What he wanted to do was to neuter Messianic Nazarene Judaism. How do you do that? You destroy uh, the basis of their religion. How do you do that? Well, you promote a Rome-friendly form of Judaism. And that was the simple Judaism of Saul, which he already had in the bag because Saul had been promoting this for the last 20 years. So they already had that. So he said, right, okay, you go off and promote that because it's a Rome-friendly form of Judaism. Turn the other cheek, um, render unto Caesar what, what is belongs to yeah. Caesar, you know, <laughs> pay your Roman taxes. It was just beautiful. Vespasian loved it. <clears throat> um, but whatever you do, don't say that this hero guy was involved in the Jewish revolt. Stick him back in the AD 30s, and then nobody will know that he was a leader of the Jewish revolt. And that simple technique of just taking him out of that era has fooled everybody for um, 2,000 years. Um, and that's the real story. That's what actually happened. Oh, mic drop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Massive uh, cavernous so echo. It's, it's funny. Mic it's the same story. Nothing in the story changes. But you see what I mean about the context changing. Absolutely. So it, it's funny because, you know, I could go to a Christian and say, look, I've proved the whole of your New Testament is correct. And they'll say, get out of here. We don't want you because my version of the New Testament has changed the story um, so that the Jesus character is now a real king, a warrior king, tried to take over the Roman Empire and failed. Uh, but the story is exactly the same. Nothing changes. Ah. Oh, well, so Ralph, there we go. 
This but it took me a long time to find that. That was 30 years of research. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's or been more. fantastic, Ralph. Um, people should buy your books, edfoodbooks.uk. link will be in the show notes. Yeah. Um, this mainly comes from Jesus, King of Odessa, that, this particular one. But it was built up. We haven't been through the build-up yet as, as, as to how we got there. Uh, Cleopatra to Christ, that, that Jesus was uh, a great-grandson of Queen Cleopatra. So we've not been through that. Um, King Jesus, why the guy was a real king. Uh, and then Jesus, King of Odessa. So that's the Odessan story, why he ended up in Odessa. Oh, sorry, and just then, quick, quickly, because otherwise it's going to do a bit. Cleopatra's children with whom? With Caesar. Oh, great. So, right. <laughs> so, so JC and JC lost- are related. Yeah, there was a lost, yeah, JC and JC, yeah. Um, there was a lost daughter of Cleopatra from uh, 44 BC. Uh, when Caesar was killed on the Ides of March, um, Cleopatra was pregnant. We have that from Cicero. And Cicero is really worried that they'll get a scion of Caesar, an heir of Caesar, to be the next emperor of Rome. And he doesn't want that. He doesn't want an Egyptian emperor. Um, But, you know, moving on three or four months and suddenly he's happy, there's no problem. So why is there no problem? Well, either there was a miscarriage because Cicero wanted a miscarriage. So either there was a miscarriage or the child was a daughter. And I think there was a lost daughter that we don't really know much about. And I go through the history of that lost daughter who ends up as the queen of Parthia. So she ends up with the... This is brushing through it very, very quickly. (laughs) She ends up as the queen of Parthia. Her name is Queen Thea Musa Aurania, um, who became the queen of of Parthia. And um, she was uh, kicked out of Parthia uh, in eighty four and ended up back in Syria, and um, marrying an Odessan king. Yeah, well, let me very quickly just show oh. you a quick image. Yeah, she married an, an Odessan king. Oh, sort of thing. <laughs> oh fantastic! Oh god! Let me show you a quick picture. This is the lady because this lady's gone missing from history as well. Again, nobody knows about this lady. Um. On the left, we have Queen Cleopatra, Cleopatra VII, the famous queen of Egypt. On the right, we have Queen Thea Musa Aurania, uh, Queen of Parthia, who uh, was kicked out of Parthia in AD 4. And uh, I think there's a family likeness there with that sort of small mouth and receding chin. I think there's a bit of a family likeness there. So lady on the left would have been the mother Lady on the right is the uh, daughter, and she would have been the lost daughter of Queen Cleopatra. And that's why she became the Queen of Parthia, because she was so famous. Um, Josephus Flavius says that he sent, uh, this was Emperor Augustus, sent a concubine, a prostitute, to the King of Parthia as, (laughs) as as a diplomatic gift. And, of course, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, but how how would it, how would Augustus have treated a rival to the throne? You know, a, a daughter of Cleopatra. Well, they used them Sex as shipper. Yeah, off. Dip, yeah. Well, they did exactly the same to Yuba the Yuba the first. Right. Uh, Yuba the first was the king of North Africa, Mauritania, 
and he gave him the other daughter of Cleopatra, Cleopatra yeah. Selene. And he shipped Cleopatra Selene off to North Africa as a diplomatic bride. This is what they did, you know. Yeah. Uh, they were chattels. They weren't um, princesses so much. And uh, he did very well. So he got a daughter of Cleopatra. He got an incarnation of Isis. So he was very pleased by this. But then Tephrates IV, who was the king of Parthia, Augustus, Emperor Augustus, gave the king of Parthia a courtesan, Thermusa, who is Theomusa Aurania. And everyone thought this was a ribald old tale that Josephus had just made this up um, because there's like there's stories of incest and God knows what goes on with it. And she poisoned her husband, so she killed the king. Um, but, uh, you know, everyone disbelieved Josephus. But then in the end, they started finding these coins. And this is Theomusa Aurania. This is the queen on the right. The only queen there's ever been of Parthia and Persia. And on the left is her son. This is Phratasis. And these are the two people who were kicked out of Parthia and went to Syria. And these are the two people who founded Edessa um, as an independent principality. Wow. So Josephus calls, calls these the Babylonian Jews from beyond the Euphrates. Because... <laughs> They did come from beyond the Euphrates, and they were Jewish in the end. Um, yes, yeah, so we, we've we got evidence for that. We haven't been through the Hukok mosaic either, so there's lots of stuff to go through. Well, you're going to so have we'll... to come back. And I've been looking in, looking in the chat, and uh, people have been loving this and uh, saying, you've got to get Ralph back, got to get Ralph back. We'll not leave it as long this time, Ralph. No. Yeah, we, we can do another one. There's lots to, to talk that. about before we go on to Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or we could go on to Arthur anyway, you know, because people always like the Arthurian story, but there's lots to talk about. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. And uh, like I said, uh, links are in the show notes. You want to check out Ralph's work, buy his books, and, and gen up on all this in, in much greater detail at your leisure. Follow the link in the show notes. And, uh, yeah, thanks. It's been really great talking with you again, Ralph. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. Hope uh, hope everyone enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm sure they did. Yeah, I've had lots of good feedback. I've just been looking at the chat periodically as we've been going. And, uh, yeah, fantastic. And, uh, yeah, hope to see you again before too long. Indeed. Thanks All for having me. Thanks, Ralph. Thanks, Ralph. Take care. Have uh, a nice rest of your Sunday. Cheers. All right. We'll be back in, uh, what? 10 minutes 5-10 mm. minutes do some news mm. and uh, so we'll see you on the other side folks take care right then we're back the dwarf the cripple and the pancreatic islets of Langerhan that was our chat with Ralph Ellis of mm. Edfu Books link in the show notes if you want to uh, he's, he's done loads of books Loads. Like a dozen in Prolific. series. Like there's an Egyptian series and a Jesus the King of Odessa series. Wow. You want to geek out on this shit? Links in the show notes. It's fascinating. He's as prolific as that Dianetics guy. Can't remember the name of. L. Ron Cubbard. <laughs> He's the the most prolific author of all time. I believe so, yeah. L. Ron Hubbard. He's Did he write more... Tech War? <laughs> Other than other than Cometown, obviously. Of course. On word count, pure of word course. count. Alone.
Comatan. I wonder if Comatan's an AI. That's how he, he wrote a million word book. It does look like it, an AI. Mm. It was beamed down to him. Yeah. It's a download. Mm. Right, it's, cool. Uh, yes, we're back. We said we'd be back, didn't we? Promise made, promise delivered. That's usual. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do some headlines? Ugh, yeah. It looks like a long one. Oh my god, I've got two headlines. I'm going to ditch one of them. Yeah, but that's a long one. Then. I'm a fast reader. Capital letters, a big news story. Headlines of the week. Oh, this is your fault, that. <laughs> Museum reclassifies <laughs> Roman emperor as trans woman. Um, yeah, staying on the subject of ancient history. Can I just point out on the scroll we've got our number going out? Yeah, it's sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, let me uh, fix that very don't quickly. Phone in, you'll be ignored. <laughs> yeah, don't phone in. It's it's dead. The line is dead. The line is dead. It will there cost you. Yeah, <laughs> lots there of money. Go. Just there follow us go. on social media instead. Hit that bell. Join Hit our community. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Hit that bell. Don't ring us. <laughs> No. Don't ring us. Ring us on, uh, what will it be? December the <coughs> 10th, I think, is the next Amish hotline. Oh, right. That's nearly Secret Santa time, right? Oh, I don't know. Are we, we doing it this we, year? We didn't do oh, it for the last two years. Yeah, but no. COVID and stuff. <laughs> last year. <laughs> we were here both years, I think. <laughs> I think. Oh, anyway, a museum is to relabel its display about a Roman emperor after conducting, concluding rather, that he was in fact a trans woman. This is Ella Gabalus, ancient mm. Rome fans. You're familiar Ella. with? Yeah, if you if you listen to the the Mike Duncan Ancient Rome podcast, he does talk about Ella Gabalus. <laughs> great, <laughs> great podcast. Poor pronunciation. Yeah, it's not Ella Gabalus. Gobble you up. Elagabalus. Elagabalus. Jesus Christ. North Herefordshire Museum will now refer to Emperor Elagabalus with the female pronouns of she and her. It comes after classical texts claim the emperor once said, Call me Lord, for I am a lady. Call me not Lord. Mm. Uh, a museum sportsman said it was only polite and respectful to be sensitive to identifying pronouns for people in the past. Uh, the museum has one coin of Elagabalus. He, he, did he have four years? It was, a, it was a short years? one, wasn't it? Yeah, I would think maybe... She, did she have four years? Sorry, she had four years. <laughs> Give over. Uh, yeah, uh, the museum, blah, blah, blah. It said it consult. Oh, here we go. It said, and the museum this is, it said it consulted LGBTQ plus charity Stonewall oh. to ensure, quote, displays, publicity and talks are as up-to-date and inclusive as possible. Diversity, equity and inclusion. Yeah. DEI. That's the message. Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, better known as Elagabalus, ruled the Roman Empire for just four years from 218 AD to his assassination aged 18 years old, 222 AD. He became an increasingly controversial figure over his short reign, developing a reputation for sexual promiscuity. Right. Mm. <laughs> uh, Cassius Dio, a senator and contemporary of Elagabalus and famous Roman history. If you read any books on Roman history, Cassius Dio is one of the main sources quoted. Uh, writes in his historical chronicles that the emperor was married five times, four times to women, 
and wants to hire Corlees, a former slave and chariot driver. Ooh, fruity. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, Cassius Dio says, uh, in this final marriage, Dio writes, the emperor was, quote, bestowed in marriage and was termed wife, mistress, and queen. The debate over Elagabalus's gender identity is long-standing. I dispute this. I don't know who, what, what source this is from, but anyway... Uh, the debate over Elagabalus's gender identity is long-standing and often splits academics. Dr. Shushma Malik, a Cambridge University classics professor, told the BBC, quote, The historians we use to try and understand the life of Elagabalus are extremely hostile towards him and therefore cannot be taken at face value. We don't have any direct evidence from Elagabalus himself of his own words. There are many examples in Roman literature of times where effeminate language and words were used as a way of criticising or weakening a political figure, political figure, or rival, I would say. References to Elagabalus wearing makeup, wigs, and removing body hair may have been written in order to undermine the unpopular emperor. How many times have I said on this that you can't just read an author and take it at face value? You have to read... You can't just read what it, the text. You have to read the author. What's the context he's writing in? What are his political persuasions? Who are his patrons? Mm -hmm. This goes for all history books, man. All of them? Yeah, but this fucking stupid museum has taken one quote from Cassius Dio and then changed his gender identity. Yes. Without realising, like, every classicist ever... That Cassius Dio is writing for the Severan dynasty immediately following Elagabalus and is therefore hostile to him and wants to paint him, paint him in a bad light. What's the best way to paint an emperor in a bad light in Rome in the third century? Call him a shit. Call him a pufter. Yeah. When they, uh, I mean, they got into a lot of cool stuff in in Rome, right? There was lots of kinks going on, yeah, yeah. but it was very, it was under the radar. Yeah, the, the proles wouldn't have Oh, no, no, the, the key is, it's a bit like Greece. Homosexuality, well, they didn't call it homosexuality. Men shagging men happened, but what was important in Rome was who was the active principal, who was the receptive principal. Ah, the batter and the catcher. If you're the catcher, you, you know, that's a no-no. Yeah, yeah. You need to be the active principal. This is masculine machismo ancient Rome we're talking about. I see. You're not bending over and receiving cock. <coughs> ben. If you if you want a job in politics, <laughs> solely flipped. <laughs> so it's not like today. You know. Anyway, um blah 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 blah. Reference to yeah, we're in makeup. Uh Dr. Malik added that whilst Romans were aware of gender fluidity. There wasn't even, I don't even think there was a concept of gender fluidity. There are examples of pronouns being changed in literature and it was usually used in reference to myth and religion rather than describing living people. However, councillor Keith Hoskins, executive member for Enterprise and Arts at North Hertfordshire Council said texts such as Dio's provide evidence that, quote, Elagabalus most definitely preferred the she pronoun, and as such, this is something we reflect when discussing her in contemporary times, discussing her in contemporary times, as we believe is standard practice elsewhere. We know, we know that Elagabalus identified as a woman. 
and was explicit about which pronouns she used. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's the certainty that these people at the museum have. We know that Ella Gabalus identified as a woman. Sorry, you don't. Mm. There's no, there's no evidence. You're taking one quote from a, from a. <sighs> anyway, well, at least you know. No one's enjoying this. You get the column inches, don't you? So I'd never, I'd never heard of Ella, Ella Gobbles or um, North Hertfordshire <laughs> before <laughs> now. Of yeah. the, the place, so you know, well, you know, that's how you get your clicks, I guess. That's what I said in the element. It's publicity and and ticking off some DEI requirements for the for the council. Showing, you know, showing to be DUI. inclusive, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Oh, driving under the influence. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, well. North Hertfordshire exists. You heard it here first. So it's pronounced Ella Gabalus. Gabalus. Not Gobalus. Gobalus. Maybe that's what he was Ella doing. Ella Gobalus. <laughs> Maybe. And that's why, you know, now he's a she. I suppose that, that's quite ironic, isn't it? That, you know, the, what is it? North Hertfordshire Museum has ended up calling Ella Gabalus a she, which would have been the the lowest of the low. Thing. It's exactly what they wanted. Yeah. They've just fulfilled... Mm. what the uh, the historians writing in his time, the people who were against him, mm. wanted. That was the whole point of the exercise. And they've just wandered into it because it's politically fashionable to do so now. See, but fortunately, know. most of the classicists, because I read uh, two articles on this story, and most of, the, most of the, like the BBC and the other one, they actually interviewed proper classicists. Clarify, said no. Clarify that, yeah, you don't just uh, gender swap an emperor because of one quote from a historian who was, uh, what would you say, like an, an opponent of the emperor. That's not, uh, what do you call, very scholarly mm. thing Why to did do. they go for Ella Goebbels instead of, like, Julius Caesar? Yeah, because, I mean, that's one of the most famous cross-dressing controversies of all time, Julius Caesar. Mm. Dressing as a woman in that, uh, what was the uh, the name of the, uh, there was a f- religious festival to do with women and Vestal Virgins or something. And it was at, I can't remember whose house it was, but Julius Caesar infiltrated it, dressed as a woman, because he was up Ooh. to no good, because he was such a cad, shagging around. <laughs> Ultimate and, cad. Uh, oh, giga chad, cad. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, the details escape me now. Right. Anyway, good. Let's move on. I've got this um <laughs> got this clip from Nadine Doris. Former Tory MP, no? Yeah. Yeah. Right. What um, else do you know about her? She likes Boris Johnson. Yeah, she is Boris Johnson's number one fan. She was in the jungle, isn't she? That was a big controversy, wasn't it? Because she was being paid as an MP. And also 250 grand to go to Australia or whatever it was. And eight woodery grubs, are they called? Widgety grubs. Which pronounced, actually. (laughs) 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 Helicopter. 
<laughs> well, there's been a clip flo- floating around of her being interviewed on BBC, which I thought was particularly interesting. And uh, I've actually done a bit of research oh, God. on uh, a character mentioned in this clip. Not a deep dive, a shallow dive. Oh, Proceed. I, yeah. Do they need to know that you have found out? Everything is decided by a, a quite small group of men who decide who will be an MP, who will be a minister, when that minister's career will crash. I mean, you don't have to put that shitty, stupid music over the top of it. Fortunately, it fades out. Part I don't remember the, the music because I saw this live. You saw it live? <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Wow. What are you doing up at 790? What are you doing paying your <laughs> licence fee? <laughs> By pulling various levers, who will be Prime Minister and how long they will remain Prime Minister. And of course, Conservative Party voters and people who go to the ballot box think their vote matters. It doesn't matter at all because this stuff is all pre-decided. This is wow. quite outrageous from a former <laughs> Member of Parliament to say your vote means nothing. I mean, I've been saying this for years, like, but... Maybe she thought she was her. on GB News, fantastic. She sounds like a conspiracy theorist, doesn't she? Well, let's wow. continue. Some of them are names, you know, Michael Gove, Dominic Cummings, as I've said, coming in, Cummings is Gove and Gove is Cummings. A lot of Cummings and Goings and Govey. Ah. Cummings and Govings. Be, that would have been much better. <laughs> Dominic Cummings is Michael Gove. They've worked together side by side for well over 20 years. Um, Dougie... Dougie is... You missed that. It glitched then. Dougie Smith. Dougie Smith. Oh, have you heard of this guy? Yeah, because I saw it live at oh. 21. <laughs> right. You know, you will only find one photograph on the internet of Dougie Smith. He is right now at Rishi's right-hand side as his main advisor. You know, this is a man who used to run the fever sex parties. He has quite a notorious, um, you know, well-known background. But you won't hear anybody talk about Dougie Smith. When I ask people about Dougie Smith, they would say to me, I don't want to talk about him. And put their hand over my phone. That was that was just that was just a, a casual grenade there. She lobbed out. Dougie Smith sex parties. Anyone yeah. heard of Dougie Smith before? No, one photo of him on the internet. No, I've never heard of Dougie Smith and the Fever sex parties. No. No. Have you heard of Fever sex parties? No. Okay. Well, I have. <laughs> FeverSexParties dot com. The website's still up there. Wow. And there's still Fever. Oh, yeah, do you want me to write it down for you? <laughs> just, just send me the link. <laughs> Started in 1998. Mm. Yeah, uh, the exclusive invite only. Basically, if you're a, a, a degenerate elite, is it this a is alone? where you go. <laughs> this is where you go in London. Is it a satanic sex cult? I've not been. So, yeah. Who knows what goes on in there? Lots of sex and orgies. Oh. And uh, but I mean the first thing I think of right this guy, this guy ran it for a, a minimum of five years. Started in ninety eight, and he was running it for at least five years. It's like that eyes wide shut kind of deal. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Um, my initial thought is like, if I was like a, an operative for an intelligence agency, mm. what better way to get dirt on members of parliament oh, and yeah, ministers? Than having some sort of sex parties in mm. London that you get invited to. Yeah. And then maybe get some photos, videos of people in an uncompromised. Because we know those guys in Westminster are all fucking degenerates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was my first thought. No, I'm, I'm not suggesting that Dougie Smith is a member of, of Mossad or anything. Wow. 
What's Mossad again? The Israeli Special Forces. Oh, oh. Or and intelligence agency. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh no, it could be. It could be a member of any any uh, intelligence agency, <laughs> or maybe not one at all. Maybe not. Um, so yeah, they started in '98. Fever parties. Um, he famously worked for James Goldsmith for a long time. He's worked for Johnson, Cameron, all of them. All of them arranging the sex parties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there was a pig. I wonder if Cameron requested a pig, <laughs> a pig's head, just a head, just for old time's sake. It's a bit weird that he's done all of them. Yeah, a spad for all. All for one, Spadford none. Well, I find that I find the connection to James Goldsmith particularly interesting. Billionaire James Goldsmith. He's been dead over twenty years, I think now. Oh, I thought am I thinking of a different gold something? Oh, the brothers that were MPs. Were they not? Yeah, brothers? Zach. Sure. Are they were not sure. related? Would you like a potted history of the Goldsmith family, please? Sorry, the Goldschmidt. The oh, Goldschmidt family. Anglicized. Is a family of German Jewish descent. Originally from Frankfurt, known for their success in banking and finance. And goldsmithing. Uh, with origins oh, yeah. tracing back to the 15th century, most members were forced to leave Frankfurt at Frankfurt after the 1614 Fettmilch uprising. Mm, Fettmilch. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't return to the 18th century. Uh, the family was interwoven particularly with the Rothschild family. Oh, here we go. And the Bischofsheim. <laughs> uh, interwoven. How That's an interesting choice of words. That's uh, marriage, interrelated by marriage and preserving bloodlines, some may suggest as well. Where does Sasquatch come into it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it does. Oh, right. okay. I don't think Sasquatch is real. Maybe later. Maybe that's to come. Um, About the giants. James Goldsmith's definitely <laughs> real. And Fever Sets Poise is real because I checked the website today. Right, okay. Uh, yeah, so the family was interwoven, particularly with the Rothschild family at the Bischoff Shem family of Mainz and the Bartolome family, one of the richest families in Monaco. Mainz. 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 On 6th of September 1903, Maximilian Goldschmidt was elevated to the title of Baron von Goldschmidt Rothschild. Wow. In Prussia by Emperor Wilhelm II. Nice. Um, thus, the family became part of the German nobility. Oh, when it was all little. Little and Aldi. Little kingdoms. Yeah. Uh, no. No. No, this is post-unification. This is 1903. Oh, right, okay. So it's actually the country. Yeah, Emperor Wilhelm. Yeah, so part Wilhelm. of the German nobility. Right. The English branch of the family anglicised their name to Goldsmith, starting with Frank Goldsmith, who died in 1967. Its most famous 20th century member was billionaire James Goldsmith, who our person in question worked for for most of his life. The most famous today is Zach Goldsmith, who was oh, MP Zach. for Richmond Park. Zach's sister Jemima was married to the Pakistani former cricket player turned politician and former Prime Minister Imran Khan. Oh. Members of this branch of the family were also awarded the title of Baron in Britain and thus belonged to the British nobility. Nice. British nobility and German nobility. It's quite a connected family, that, isn't it? Yeah. From a, a, a German-Jewish descent mm. family. They've done well for themselves, well done. Yeah. What was the billionaire guy, James? James. What was James his money Smith. from banking in the UK? Where else? Right, okay. Where else? 
What Thumb bank? What was his bank? bank? I thought it was not Goldsmith's oh, uh, jewelry shop then. <laughs> no, you can find it. It's all, it's all, this is all from Wikipedia. You can find. I just had to turn oh. it down because I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to do you a lecture on the Goldsmiths because you could you could just print pages off about right, this okay. family. Mm. It's a potted history. So yeah, that's uh, Dougie Smith. Who's his wife? Um, Maggie, Sherry Maggie Blair. Smith. Oh. <laughs> Maggie Smith. Um, I don't know. It's not Baron Nadine von Doris. <laughs> Munira Mirza. I would never have guessed that. What no. heiress is she? Um, she is of, I think, Pakistani origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, working class Oldham family. Nonsense. Um, That's where you, this is where the theory falls down. Former, <laughs> this is the guy who's advertising all the prime ministers all the concern and who decides who's going to be an mp or pm and how long for right uh, his wife a member of the revolutionary communist party <laughs> <laughs> from oldham yeah there's, there's revolutionary communists in oldham well it it, it dissolved in the mid 90s Right. So when it started, uh, in, and it turned into the Fever Sex Party. <laughs> it started in the seventies, and it became great. And I think it became more libertarian. Oh, right. sometime in the nineties, maybe when she was operating. She was an um, operative. Well, yeah. In fact, lots of people were. Mm. But this is the the story. So, um, one party member, the Revolutionary Communist Party. One party member from the 1990s explained in an article in Spiked as follows. So, um, Spiked, she was a co-founder of Spiked. Magazine. Yeah. Yeah. I never left the RCP. The organization <laughs> folded in the mid-90s. But oh. few of us actually recanted our ideas. Instead, we resolved to support one another more informally as we pursued our, as we pursued our political tradition as individuals or launch new projects with more general aims that also engage people from different traditions. These... Like shagging. Yeah, maybe. Spiked. These include Spiked and the Institute of Ideas, where I now work. It must be said that this development annoyed our political opponents immensely, and a cursory Google search will return a plethora of exposés purporting to show that former members of the RCP were involved in various sinister conspiracies. So basically, we live in a communist state, is that what we're saying? That Dougie, whatever, who's definitely not from the band Busted, (laughs) is basically, he's being run by a revolutionary communist party member. Literally. He's literally a communist. So it's all a sham and, you know, keep the proles down and all that kind of stuff. That's assuming they're not even foreign intelligence assets. Wow. From the CCP. <clears throat> and is all this designed to sell Nadine Doris's book? <laughs> <laughs> what, putting, getting Dougie to run the Everything, the Wikipedia forever. article, <laughs> the sex parties. <laughs> I wonder how many she sold. <laughs> not many, I don't think. No, not a lot. Because <laughs> of yeah, she, yeah, a lot of the coverage has been have been of her uh, bigging up Boris, isn't it? Yeah, that, that look she gives him. 
from from across the well from the dispatch box. Sex party. Not young enough, is she? Unfortunately for her. For him. Yeah. Did you just misgender an ex prime minister? Who now? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, gender politics, the sixtieth uh, anniversary Doctor Who episode came out last night. I watched you it. You watched yeah. it, yeah. I saw David Tennant was on it. Was yeah, he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, and, and uh, Donna, the one Donna Summer, Catherine Tate. Is it? Yes. Yeah. It was right. Got a couple of clips. Here's clip one. Yes, the meep. I promise I can help him get home and then you'll never see me again. You're assuming he as a pronoun. True. Yes, sorry, good point. Are you he or she or they? My chosen pronoun is the definite article. I am always the meep. Oh, I do that. Do you know who that is, the meep? No, I don't care. It's Miriam Margulies. The voice of the meep. No, so it's not that's not pronounced margoyles. Margoyles. <laughs> <laughs> Is it not? In my opinion. Margoyles. Margoyles. It's like gargoyles. Gargoyle. Like yeah. gargoyle. That's what I'm yeah. saying. It's, it's just margoyles. like the gargoyles on churches. <laughs> Mariam Margoyles. Margoyles, yeah. Not Margoyles. No, I've never ever heard it Margoyles. I've never heard it. I've only <coughs> ever read it. <laughs> well, I'm going to call it, I'm going to say Margoyles now because it sounds better. Is she not? She's the like old grumpy woman. She's old. She? She's very sweary. Yeah. She's living she life bags, vicariously. She, she, bags, <laughs> she does <laughs> look like grump bags. like grump bags. Yeah. Is she being oh, run so by not. the Revolutionary Communist Party? <laughs> I don't think so. I think they'd give her a wide berth. Right, okay. Mike Margulies. Margulies. Shall I play the clip again? Or is she moving on? Uh, not talking about it. Uh, well, we, we did talk about it. Oh, who Miriam Margulies is. <laughs> okay, clip two. Yes, we know. We know everything. Thanks. And you know nothing. It's a shame you're not a woman anymore. She'd have understood. We've got all that power, but there is a way to get rid of it. Hang on a Something minute. a male presenting time. Oh. The Nadine Dorries. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine Day? No, she just oh, flashed up on the screen. Oh. She'd have understood. Get ready. We've got all that power. Best. <laughs> She's in everything. Is that Dougie Smith stood behind her? Yeah. Very she's been run. Uh. Yeah, uh, hashtag RIP Doctor Who was trending yesterday on Twitter. There's no coming back. The franchise is dead. This is enough to kill. <laughs> this is enough cringe to kill a pack of elephants. <laughs> there is a way to get rid of it. Something a male presenting Time Lord will never. A male presenting Time Lord. That's something I never thought I'd hear on Doctor Who. So it's painful, isn't it? I mean. Who's writing this now? Is it still the same guy? No, uh, no they brought is. the last guy back, the guy who rebooted it in Russell, 2005. Sorry, this Russell is his. Davis. Russell yeah. T. Davis, yeah. Right, okay. We've got all that power, but there is a way to get rid of it. Something a male presenting Time Lord will never understand. Just let it go. And we choose to let it go. Oh, fuck me. God. 
Did you enjoy it? What did I you think? Because I enjoyed it. Yeah. He enjoys everything. Except Spaceballs, he's telling me. I watched Spaceballs. And uh, he couldn't watch. He couldn't. He, he managed to watch that Doctor Who, but he couldn't get through fifteen minutes of Spaceballs. Just seemed dated. Yeah, yeah. Spaceballs is very of its time, and you know yeah. you need to be a child to watch it to be to enjoy the most true, out of it. True Majesty. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, um, it's a shame. I've, I've ruined it for myself. You have ruined it. I'm pretty sure I watched it thinking it was Star Wars. The first time. <laughs> <laughs> it's very similar, the first, first <laughs> section. <laughs> no, all the way through. Rick Moranis. All the way through. <laughs> Mr. Coffee. Pretty sure, yeah. It's, I mean, that, that I mean, was better than Star Wars. <laughs> that, that was pretty poor writing and... So what? 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 Why did they disappear? Why did the, the women space disappear? Because of the clean air. But why did they disappear? I thought it was the Time Lord that disappeared and like changed into another thing. Donna's got Time Lord energy in her from last time she was in it. Right. Okay. And then that's her daughter. Right. Slash. She's non-binary. The daughter, which is why she a lot of those references. She is. I can. I'm going to use it interchangeably. Yes, he is non-binary. Well, I suppose that makes more sense then. What? I <laughs> <laughs> don't think about it. I like the uh, BBC review. Oh, what was the quote? Shite. Uh, no, it's something like I couldn't believe it. They used the drinker's terminology in their own review of their own show. Um, yeah, it's gone now. Something the message. About, the message. Yeah, with capital T, capital M. Oh, the messages. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'll save it for another time. So What's important is it's Miriam Margoyles. <laughs> Margulies. Margulies, damn it. Yeah, so, anyway. Hang on a minute, so those things on churches are gargulies? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, gargulies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to find something on the internet where she says her own name. Oh, Mark, Mark Hi, my name's Miriam Margulies. She's been on this morning like a billion times. Yeah. Just search for that, and she'll be introduced so by Phil and Molly. Right, okay. Yeah. All the comedy panel shows. Margulies. She's on Taskmaster. She would Margulies. Margulies. This, this is right. this is good content. Yeah, let's see what's coming up next. First on BBC One, quite often I need two holes so that I can squirt. <laughs> you squeeze the bag. Yeah. When you meet that little bit of resistance, yeah. it usually means it's full. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you laughing? We're just children. <laughs> Sorry, Dame Prue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stop this nonsense. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. There's a myriad of ways of doing this. My favourite way of returning value is word of mouth. Wherever you are online or even in the street, just grab people by the shoulder and say, listen to this fucking shit, you idiot. Talk about Ella Gobbles and Miriam Margoyles. <laughs> <laughs> what, more, what more do you want? Or wherever you're online, if you're on uh, Discord servers, Telegram channels, uh, Facebook groups, <laughs> share links and help us grow our reach, get more people interested, listen to fucking fantastic stuff like we had in part one with Ralph Ellis. 
mind-bending historical revisionism. Yes. It all helps. Next. What's your favourite way, Ben? Uh, <laughs> I want to book that. Uh, well, I was going to um, I was going to talk about merch, but I don't know which button to push. Uh, so I think we're I'm pushing all of Phil's pushing buttons. all the buttons tonight. <laughs> Got him pulling his beard out. Ooh. Yeah, I like to, uh, you know, sell some merch. Here's a t-shirt. How do you make it go to the next one again? <laughs> Click on the merch Click store. Click the button. Merch store. Highlight merch store. Comes in all sizes. Oh, oh there, look. This it says one. a 30 day free return policy. Is that correct? What's this one, Ben? That's a bacon nuts t shirt from. It's a very niche reference to a small part <laughs> of one episode about 200 <laughs> weeks ago. Uh, so we made it into a t shirt for some reason. Yeah. Uh, and you can spend your money on it. And yeah. we get a cut of that money and we uh, use even, it. You could buy a mug as well. Moon pies and penny whistles. Yeah, you get a mug because it was such a Next. an important segment. That we... This is Phil's favorite T-shirt. Which one's this, Ben? Three weeks to flatten the earth. It's it's got a it's good. Mm. I, I can't remember. Did it leave from yeah. the big conspire? It's the an big, excellent uh, one. It's, again, it's three years out. Of hey, date. Uh, the big conspire stream every Friday at eight pm. Oh, the big stream. Yeah, on Twitch. Yeah, I was there on Friday. That's too, where yeah. all the kids go, isn't it? If you're in the radical oh. communist party and you want to let other people know, you can buy a literally a communist, communist hoodie. hoodie. Uh, and uh, carry your uh, book. book. You could have your red well, Chairman well, Mao book in one hand, and your yeah. and in your other hand, you could have a Nadine Doris's uh, latest tripe. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, tell uh, you tell your mates. And there's just an original splash T-shirt, isn't there, Ben? Yeah, that's pretty good. That one. I mean, that's that says exactly what's going on. Um, and we've gone round the horn there. Round the horn. Look at that! Oh, oh, God. Maybe, if you there ask us nicely, back. we'll do a Miriam Margoyles t-shirt. <laughs> Margulies, Ben. Yeah, Margulies. whatever. Um, so my favourite way is to join the Element server. Do you know what the Element server is, Ben? Did you say Elephant server? No, Element server. Element server. So What's I, that? Maybe? I don't know. It's, I think you can get like a link from the show notes, maybe, or the website or something. Do you think? And then you could click on that, download it, and join all the rooms separately, and then you can interact with us and send us news articles yeah. Um, guest suggestions. You could send us videos, audio, that kind of thing. You can go in there and shoot your mouth off with all kinds of nonsense. Yeah, you could do. You could uh, request a birthday shout out. You could do that. You get NF uh, shouting out your uh, mm-hmm. your birthday greeting there. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. You're looking a little grey this evening. <coughs> yeah. So, uh, do you yeah. think you could require a focus chi? Oh, perhaps. Mm. So what's a focus chi, Ben? A focus chi is where we focus our chi energy in your general direction. If you're feeling depleted of chi, if you have a, yeah. a particular aim you want assistance with or you, you just want to pick me up, we can uh, we can spray that in your general direction. And it's it's at least 50% accurate. I'm, I'm sure, Matt. Is that, uh, is that no, correct? No, it's actually 95%. Hey, five. Nine, wow. Well, ac- well, accuracy is 100%. Uh, success rate is 95%. You can't buy those numbers. No, you can't, can no, you? No. no. Um, so, yeah, you know, if your chi is depleted, and that is an under, that is unique to this podcast, remember? Yeah, I, I mean, if anyone else is out there giving away free chi, let us know, because we're going to shut that shit down. Mm. Um, the newsletter comes out this week. 
Uh, if, you, if you want to join the newsletter, you have to email email us at thearmysinquisition at gmail.com. Yes, because the link doesn't work. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> And then in the, in the subject uh, box, you just write newsletter and Philip will send you uh, the newsletter every month. And you have to check your spam or your junk as well because sometimes it goes in there or sometimes it just doesn't arrive. Um, if you uh, if you mention Miriam Margoyles in the uh, in the subject line, you'll also get ten percent off the merch store in that newsletter. Oh yeah, you get ten percent off the merch store, don't you? If you yeah. if you sign up to the newsletter and mention Miriam Margoyles. Yeah. Um, what else do we need to mention now? Oh, if you're on YouTube, you got a sub, comment, like, smash the bell. Hey, you can give us uh, super stickers as well now. Super stickers. Super stickers. We got one this week. Yeah, we did. Oh, we got we? a super sticker this week. Yeah, fuck's that? I brought some bears. <laughs> I got some bears, Ben. Ursa, panda. You got some panda Christmas bears. I got some panda bears. Look, aren't they oh, cute? Shit. They are pretty. And cute. Uh, they're all different, near enough. They look crystalline. There's one that's like uh, it's it's riposte. Look, it's, it's on his back. Oh, what's going on with his legs? He's up in. The, he's you know. He's lying on his back. Where are you going to put? So I'm going to. I'm going to build. And you know, these bears need to be staged. Oh, I should show one up to the camera. Hang on. There's, oh my god. There's one. Yeah. There's a panda. I've got five panda bears. Obviously, they need to be properly staged for my Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> my Christmas uh, display. So what I was thinking was, I have a, a big wicker basket with like a gingham, uh, you know. Cushion, felt it, round this it. Is obviously, all illuminated. Yeah, the illuminated. bears are illuminated, man. Or I was thinking maybe like a small uh, crate, like an open-topped crate you with know straw in it, and I would, I would house them in that. Phil, what you should do is get one of those Chinese steaming baskets that they do like bow steamed buns in. Stick them in that. Yeah, because pandas. And Have you not got any China. bamboo? Yeah, in the front garden. Okay, well, that's that one over. <laughs> Are we going to finish off housekeeping? or? Yeah, man. What are you up to? Uh, we've done it all. Um, leave us a review. Oh, yeah, we like them. And then we'll read it out for you. We read them out. Similarly with like comments, we'll do that as well. Have, well, you, the... have you... Sorry, go on. Have you... Oh, yeah, got to sign up for the newsletter. In the We're newsletter, there's articles and yada, yada, yada. That's everything. Show artwork. What's the point? What do you get? Oh, show artwork. Oh, gosh, show artwork. Christ, Jesus. yeah. We have a unique artwork every week. Every week. And we had three submissions from one producer. We haven't even mentioned what a producer is yet. <laughs> okay, so no submissions for art this week. Um, so I wrapped I, I wrapped this one out. Youthful First, Ralph. That's yeah. Ralph from AD 70. Yeah, <laughs> King Jesus with his crown of thorns yeah. from the coin there. That's totally a pineapple. But yeah, if you uh, if you follow us on YouTube or you're in the Element server or you get the newsletter, you find out who's coming on in advance, so you can submit some artwork and we will use it gladly. Mm-hmm. We appreciate that. This is how you 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 sort of um, adopt the active principle, rather than being a passive, a chalice, a divine feminine, and just receiving this show. You can become active and nice. participate. And become a producer, and we give you a producer credit for doing all these things and Absolutely. helping us produce the show. Mm. It's that simple. It's the value for value model. What's the best way of becoming a producer? Money. 
Yes, we don't. There's no paywalls. There's no sign up for Patreon and get a bonus episode or early releases and any of that. No. It's all on the value for value method. Uh, uh, Not method, model. And we survive on your donations. So please, if you're in the position to, even though we know it's an expensive time of year, heating bills and Christmas and all the rest of it. Mm. But uh, you'd be amazed what difference like a fiver a month makes to us in paying for the running costs and keeping going and investing in new equipment like these mic stands that uh, we have now. Mm. And the pandas. <laughs> and the pandas. I could, you know, you know, when Christmas is over, the pandas might end up in here. Well, oh, well there wow. you go. You never know. I'd prefer to have the reindeer family. They won't fit in here. <laughs> I got some new reindeers as well, but they're ginormous. They won't fit in here, unfortunately. Oh, right, okay. Yep. Only you fuckers out there can save Plotland by sending us your donations. That's what we're getting at. And uh, I want to do the website over Christmas. I want to have a a real proper website that has links for newsletters that works. Oh, I (laughs) know. And things like that. Like like a GeoCities website. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking WordPress, maybe. WordPress. Is that the the new thing? Uh, Probably not anymore. (laughs) What would you use? Oh, I'd, I'd probably still use Geosis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, those are the ways to become producer. And now I think it's about time we thanked produ- the producers for this episode. Would you agree? The Pradonkers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine, dude. Christ, yeah. It's time. It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo. Hey, producers for episode 200. Uh, 200. <laughs> Fuck me. You've been doing this too long. 306 we have. Uh, Martin Young, Rona Kesson, Helen, Alia, Emma Bridges, Ziggy Dan, and Chris from Sheep Farm. Thank you. You yes. are. So. They are. They are. You are. They. You. Don't assume their gender. Yeah. <laughs> so. Amazing in their love, literally. The best mate. Thanks for your support for another week and uh, chipping in. We'll come back to Ziggy Dan because, you know, once we finish the housekeeping, we have to go into end of show ourselves. This isn't unique to us. No agenda started this and I have stolen it. But at the end of every podcast, it ends with a brief silence and then uh, an isolated clip at the end of the show. And I have a selection of four end of show ISOs for this week's episode. And uh, here they are, incoming. What have we got? Number one. Oh, it's from that 
that uh, Bake Off clip. We're just children. We're just children. I like that, yeah. Quite like that? Yeah, it's okay. Okay, what about shitheads? The stupid fucking shitheads. It's a bit aggressive. Mm. I think it's quite fitting for the end of our podcast. The stupid fucking shitheads. No, you don't like it. Uh, all right, what about humorless podcasters? These humorless podcasters. I quite like that. Mm. Audio quality isn't great. No. It's uh, Dallin Pod, and his audio quality is fucking shocking. Can you not clean it up a little bit for us? Um, These humorless podcasters. There is an Adobe product that will clean up uh, audio clips like that. that I, I want you to do it. <laughs> yeah, you don't get much Adobe stuff for free, do you? No. Hang on a minute, that's not Adobe. <laughs> Adobe? Miriam <laughs> Margolis. So, yeah, not liking that then. So what's winning then? We're just children. I th- oh, yeah, is there so not a fourth far, one? Yeah. yeah, there is, yeah. Impressive then. That's going to win, isn't it? It's saving the best to last. It's shit day! It's fucking shit day every day! Oh, no, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> just a shouty man. I know. I, I don't like the shouty ones. It's shit day! It's fucking shit day every day! Makes no sense. Is he mentally ill? Who it's shit it? day every day. Who is it's it? It's Ger- Gerald Salente. Who's that? He, he writes the Trends Journal. <coughs> okay. <laughs> is, it, is a gold bug. What's a gold bug? Someone who, who bigs up gold, <laughs> holding go physical deeper. gold. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think number unclear one. Number three. These humorless podcasts. Is- yeah, it's it's good. Phil doesn't like that. We screen his face. He wants no, it's fine. Two, wants, to, two to one. He wants, the, he wants the sweary one. I like, I like I shit day. It's shit day. Sure. It's fucking <laughs> shit day every day. Yeah, we get fined for every time we swear. No, we don't. The, um, I'm sure that'll end up in, in the middle of a show somewhere anyway. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Do, yeah. You might not know this, Phil, but uh, More than NF, Nigel Farage is in the, in the celebrity jungle at the moment. <clears throat> well, I saw a clip on Twitter of uh, someone having a go at him for being a racist or something, and being uh, anti-immigration. You want me to leave or something. Was that Nella someone? Because she's not who she's, any of them are. Seems a little extreme, childish. I don't watch it. I don't watch TV. And that's why I said you might not know. But there might be some sound clips. Oh, right. Yeah. To add to the collection. Well, when you find them, send it to us and I'll put them on the show. Yeah, I'll have it all. Become a producer. Yeah, become a producer. <laughs> Drop your divine phenomen- phenomenon in ways. <laughs> it's just easier this way. <laughs> right, quick update for Northwest News Update. Oh, are we back? We're back, yeah, but unfortunately intrepid in... Uh, <laughs> what Intrepid Explorer. digital reporter... What's she called? Emma Downey? Oh, my God. From Belfast? Uh, it's not her this week. It's it's Alan Weston, and uh, I, I just watched this. I started watching this clip. I had to turn it off because it gave me a headache. <laughs> Hello. Here are the top headlines today. His his shirt is just doing my head in. <laughs> Making the news <laughs> across our newsrooms in the northwest. What the fuck? <clears throat> Pubs, bars, and restaurants in Leyland Town Centre 
were forced to close early last night. It's like he's phasing out of the meta- <laughs> it's, metaverse. It's the type of uh, camera you're using. Yeah. Is it it's, not is at the shirt? Installation issues. Or so, yeah, he shouldn't have worn that shirt. He's been ill-advised. It's he's like, at fault with electricity cables beneath the streets. He needs to have a word with wardrobe, I would suggest. It looks like he's walked off the set of the lawnmower man. <laughs> what? What? You shouldn't really have that window behind him, should you? No, there's this all sorts wrong with this broadcast. The staging. Mm. It's an absolute abortion, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's awful. It's Someone at the Lancashire Post have a word with Alan. Mm. Or get, a, get Emma back. Is it, who does it? Steak bakes! <laughs> Sorry? What, what's this from? <laughs> the Lancashire Post. I watch TV and I've never seen it. <laughs> oh, you won't find it on TV. <laughs> dark corner of the internet. <laughs> of course. <laughs> they put all the videos on the Daily Motion. The Daily Motion? Yeah. What is this? Never heard of the Daily Motion. Like it's a, a bolus. A big competitor <laughs> to YouTube, man. Oh, right. Is it? Wow. It's in fact, I think it might predate YouTube. Oh, and then it was crushed <laughs> under the jackboots of Google. <coughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. That's what happened to GeoCities. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Alan, sort it out. Sort your wardrobe out. Have a word with production, for fuck's sake. Mm. Oh, Alan. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, uh, Ziggy Dan mentioned someone, uh, or was Matt mentioned Ziggy Dan in the chat. Ziggy Dan called in on the last Amish Hotline episode. Did, Do you remember? Yeah, it was did. pretty fucked, funny, yeah. Yeah. I said he sounded like a demon. The knobs. The knobs. them everywhere. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> rum and honey. <laughs> oh, I'm in rum and honey. That's all I know. That's yeah. so good. <laughs> That's pretty accurate, no? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I could tell exactly what Ziggy was saying. I know some people on stream probably struggled. Uh, but he messaged me, he DM'd me on Twitter the day after and said, uh, if you thought I sounded like a demon, check this shit out. I'm paraphrasing. Ziggy doesn't swear. Can you not touch my car like that? Can you give me a phone, please? What? Can you give me a phone? I want to send a text. Uh, what are you fuck. doing sitting outside this house? What are you doing? I live here. You don't live here? What are you doing? Wait for it. <laughs> oh, God. Now, this... I was going to say she... she. You I don't want to assume oh, it's gender. That is. Hang on. Who do I think that is? She's her name from League of Gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> is it someone from Grand Boulet? Uh, it's the, he, the she guy. is holding on to the, uh, the electric window and he makes the mistake of trying to put the window up, Ooh. which... Is it in Ray emboldened the demon? Enraging. Can you get your hands off my car, please? No. Please. What are you doing? Go away. What are you doing? Go away. Get away from the fucking Zimbabwe, you stupid little pimp. Get away from here. What the fuck? Yeah, that's Reese Shearsmith. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was terrifying. Can you not? Genuinely terrifying, this, isn't it? Yeah. Touch my car like that. Can you give me a phone, please? What? Can you give me a phone? I want to send a text. Can you give me uh, your phone? Yeah, I give me a file. I want to send a text. I want to send a, t- I want to send a text. Are you from Zimbabwe, you fucking pimp? I don't know what she, I don't know what she says. What the demon says. He's obviously in control of this this poor lady. 
sitting outside this house. What are you doing? I live here. You don't live here? What are you doing? Can you get your hands off my car, please? No. Please. What are you doing? Leave, go away. What are you doing? Go away. I'll be the fucking Zimbabwe, you stupid little pimp. Get away from here. Wow. To be fair, I do like that jacket. I know, it's like she's been beamed down from 1972, isn't it? That's amazing. Were they pink rose-tinted glasses? I think they were. Mm. Wow. That's what you got to wear when you're being possessed by a demon. Yeah, definitely. It helps with the demon. So, I I mean, if we're talking about dream guests for the show, obviously Miriam Margoyles. Margoyles. And that, that one... That one, and that crazy that demon. One there. <laughs> she definitely would have to zoom in, though. <laughs> I, have I want sh- to send a text. <laughs> Can I use your Skype? <laughs> Are you retarded? Oh, chance! <laughs> oh my God! Oh yes, oh, crazy wow. demon woman. I mean, it's freaked me out a little bit that actually that video. That is, yeah, um, it's pretty nuts, isn't it? Mm. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, just stop oil. There was another protest recently. Just stop oil creeper. That's off Minecraft. <laughs> yeah, so I I don't know if it was me, but I detected a common thread through these just stop oil protest videos. Oh, is it? Of... I know what it is. Is it the color orange? <laughs> What's orange got to do with it? Is it just oh, it's a common thread? <laughs> is it just a livery? It's, yeah, it's there. It's his vest. Yeah. Yeah. You wear orange. the his vest. Yeah. No, what I was angling at was that it tends to be, um, there tend to be young men. Men. (laughs) That need to drop their divine feminine ways. Oh, no, just being creeps. Oh, there was that, wasn't there, wasn't there, yes. Using the protests as a means of ingratiating themselves with the fairest sex because they have no other ways of doing it. Oh, it tends to be. Is that incels? They look like incels, yeah. Um, And, you know, this clip at the end kind of confirms my hypothesis. Oh, look at the cringe on him. You're cringing, aren't you? Yeah. Why? Just, 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 oh, God, the naivety. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, I know why he's being this pretty thing. This is my theory. Are we saying, are we saying that, like, that hat he's wearing, for example, that has not got any sort of like polyester in it or anything like that? Well, I'd say the ink on the Just Up Oil t shirt probably has some sort of plastic. Or you know, it, it, very very difficult to get a, a pure cotton anything these days. I wonder how they arrived at their destination. He doesn't have to be sort of logically consistent because he only has one aim and goal. Is he wearing shades as well? That's the other thing. I think those got. glasses. Are well, they? We might see if right. we run it forward. So we in nineteen fourteen, if million oil politics. Is failing us. Politics failed women in 1914. Politics failed women in 1914. Why? 
I think it failed everyone in 1914. <laughs> that's the start of the First World War. Well, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Did the women get the vote at the beginning of the war? Was it afterwards? <laughs> I don't know. Emily How Pankhurst. many men died between 1914 and 1919, man? Millions. Most of them are fighting age. Christ. If millions will Hang die. On. I just noticed his hat. NWA? Yeah. <laughs> NWA? Oh, for fuck. It's not. It is. I, that, it I, is, thought, it was it? A, I thought it was a, a New York Yankees cap, but it's an NWA fucking hat. Uh, oh, dear. To the new oil and gas licensing. Millions. If we love history, if we love art, and if we love our families, we must just stop oil. Okay, wait for it. Let's watch this little move coming up. <laughs> That's what it's about to me. We've played a few of these clips where the same uh, modus operandi has been on display from these young men. I'm it's, the, it's the old white knight syndrome. These sort of um, radical male feminists. White syndrome. What is it? Sorry, white in night satin. I mean that. Yeah, that that was. Uh, I mean, most of the speeches are terrible, but that one was particularly bad. It was rubbish. You should have had her saying it, probably, and zoomed in. <laughs> no, just I don't know. Maybe she'd have done a better job. Probably, yeah. He was a bit earnest, maybe, wasn't maybe he? Maybe she can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the Tony Blair school of hand signaling. Yeah, there's this, is, there's this one, isn't there, that they do? The oh, thumb. Yeah. God. This is more like, mwah, <laughs> bellissima. It's chef's kiss, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just smash up the Caravaggio. Chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful bit of hammer work. I'm glad. Oh, I'm man. so glad it was covered in uh, glass, though. <coughs> they must have left their orange paint at home. They normally throw orange paint yeah. at stuff, don't they? I mean, Do the, we know where these twats are? I mean, the, N- <laughs> the NWA cap. And, you know. Is that the worst bit of this? It's, it's up there, isn't it? Mm. I don't know. We've played some good clips from Just Stop Oil. Long may it continue. It's good content. What it was is. there before Just Stop Oil? I mean, like Greenpeace climbing boats and stuff. Save the whale, yeah. Yeah. Save the whale, yeah. Stop the ice age. Uh, ozone layer. <laughs> Do we have that? Ozone layer, yeah. If you oh, go back acid to... rain, acid rain. Acid rain, acid. yes. What was yeah. the uh, nuclear one? CND. CND, that was a big yeah. one, Campaign wasn't it? for nuclear disarmament. Mm. If you go back to the 70s, it's global cooling. Yeah, exactly, yeah. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that anymore. No. no. It's a new age. Yeah. It's a new what was in the 60s? Just, just the Beatles. Reefer Madness. <laughs> yeah, Reefer Madness. There must have been an era where the where this all civil rights movement was the sixties and Vietnam. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, World War Two and everything. Like you need that. something for young people to get excited about. Mm. Yeah, because there's no youth clubs anymore. That's no, right. there's no schemes. No, there's no Rileys open anymore. Wow, no Rileys. Jeez, did yeah. the whole chain go under? I don't know. 
I mean, how could you when you're doing curly fries and double cheeseburgers at that price? I know. Uh, yeah, pictures of ale. Hello. Right. Ale? Sorry. Pictures of frosting. Pictures of watered down Carly Blackley. I wonder what they did. You, you got any leeches for this? Did they sell off all the pool tables, you think? I know. Snooker tables. They would have had thousands, wouldn't they? Yeah. Thousands. Probably just burned them. Right. Sacrificially. There will be snooker clubs knocking around still. There are. There is one. There's, there's, is there not a Stephen Hendry <laughs> snooker club on Oof. Brook Street? Yeah, it used to be. I don't know if it's still there. It's a snooker club. I don't know if it's called Stephen Hendry snooker club though. I'm not sure if it'd have the same vibe as when we were going. No, not with Kanye West on their jukebox. <laughs> it was closer to a nightclub than a it snooker was, club. <laughs> it was good. We were there all day, and then we go to, like, we get tickets for Roper Hall. Or uh, mm. 10 p.m. Oh, God, I remember people getting tickets for that, yeah. It's a scream. It's a scream. Yeah, the card. Pound. Pound to get in. Mm. Before 11, was it? I can't remember. Yes, yeah, like Those were the days being packed in. Yeah. No yeah, toilet <laughs> cubicles having doors on. No, smoking. Smoking, yes. Yeah, I remember when Ireland was, I think, the first country to ban smoking in pubs. Right. Do you not remember that? Right, Ireland. You are. It was Ireland, wasn't it? Yeah, we probably said that. I'll never happen over here. I thought it was <laughs> New York for some reason. Oh, it could have been. Just like New York's like a, an, yeah. a different world. Country. Different country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, They're <like> crazy. <laughs> North Norfolk or wherever that place was. There's something on fire. You keep looking down there, I'm worried that I've set I fire to something. I think he's, he's worried that there's more notes. <laughs> oh, yeah, there is. So, yeah, we've got um, one more start. Uh, Palki, I found Palki. Where's she gone? Palki Sharma Upa Day. Where's she gone? From We On. She's gone to um, First some first Post, it's called. They have the YouTube channel. And uh, have you heard about what's happening in China? Oh, China. yes. Yeah. No. It's some respiratory illnesses. We begin with the outbreak in China. It's too big to ignore. They're clocking more than 10,000 cases a day. Most of the patients are children. They're coming down with a mysterious pneumonia. They have infected lungs and fever, but the cause of the illness is still unclear. You don't know exactly what this disease is, and China won't say how many cases there are or how widespread the outbreak is. Unofficially, it's been called a walking pneumonia. It's not, huh? it's not like them. It's <laughs> no, kind of uh, nostalgic, this, isn't it? Is this the RSA thing? It's co- apparently. The Royal Shakespeare Company. Well. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, not that weird. The Radical Communist RSV. <laughs> RSV, that one. Res- yeah. No, respiratory is it? No, that's been around for ages. Well, uh, a bounce back because they've just come out of. No, it's myoplasma, I think. It's bacterial infection. Myoplasma, you see. Myoplasma. Screams fungal to me. There you go. Yeah, bacterial. Oh no, sorry, bacterial. Myo- fungal. Apparently, it's bacterial. I don't know. Don't look at me. I don't know. Yeah, Myoplasma. It's a combination of things. It's not like a novel a virus. Toxoplasma. Thing. That's a um, plasmid. It's a uh, where you have a host and a a host. Where I am. And yeah. a symbiote. What's it called? Uh, you live off something else? Parasite. Parasite. So toxoplasma is a parasite. Myoplasma, I think, is bacteria. Officially. <laughs> I did Google it. Getting schooled sure by uh, I know. an armchair scientist. 
China is not sure what it's dealing with. But here's what we've been able to piece together. It's massive. With thousands of patients, mostly children. Oh, I know where I've gone There wrong. is anecdotal evidence from key hotspots, like China's capital, Beijing. The yeah. Beijing Children's Hospital is overwhelmed. They're getting 7,000 patients a day. That's children, apparently. 7,000 children a day? Wow. That's the daily average. 7,000 patients. Another hotspot is Tianjin. It's a metropolis in northern China, close to Beijing. Last Saturday... Oh, like she says close to Beijing. It's 800 kilometers away. But that's <laughs> close in Chinese terms. It's it's a big country. It's the length of the UK. Is I it? bet some cities are as big as the UK. <laughs> yeah, probably. The engine reported a big surge, over 13,000 cases in 24 hours. And this is just from one hospital. The Tianjin Children's Hospital. The biggest one in the city, this hospital. And remember what the pandemic taught us. These numbers are only a conservative estimate. They do not reflect the full scale of the crisis. Blah, blah, blah. If 13,000 patients end up in hospital, there are most likely many more outside, many more carrying the infection. That's the first point to note. The second is this. The outbreak is not recent. I'm just waiting for the TikTok clips of children falling down in the street and then a bunch of people with hazmat suits come in and spraying them with something. I had to do that to my wife. She got ill. She's got this. She's got a cough. <laughs> yeah. A cough? Yeah, and a sore throat. Yeah. Woke up in the middle of the night going... <laughs> sorted the funeral out, yeah. <clears throat> bad my yeah. missus had a cough since uh nearly two weeks right but didn't we have this in february of 2020 there's I remember. a lot of like respiratory viruses still yeah yeah mm. but we, we kind of got obsessed with one yeah <laughs> didn't we yeah, i remember <laughs> yeah mm. it must have begun weeks ago for the numbers to swell like this and it appears that thousands of patients in multiple cities are now infected in china let me show you some pictures that are doing the rounds. Please. Again, these are Chinese hospitals. They are overburdened. Look at this one. Reports say these are parents standing in long queues waiting to get their children treated. Is anyone going to buy this if, if they try and do it again? No. I don't know. It was around this time. It was like late December when the first stories started coming out from China. Yeah, I, think see, I was in, in China. In 2019, yeah. Mm. yeah. Patient zero over here. Right. Just wait. Just wait till there's a, a model release from Imperial College about the new um, respiratory virus that's uh, bad for children. Where's Neil Ferguson? <laughs> Probably shacking someone. He's <laughs> at a fever sex party. Yeah. <laughs> there is also a grab of a hospital screen, it says there are more than 700 patients in the queue. 700 patients in the queue. And what's the waiting time to see a doctor? More than 13 hours. And that's just a typical day in the NHS, isn't it? Well, I told you, didn't I? Yeah. I know someone who was had something <laughs> wrong and said, there's no point in you staying here because you'll see a doctor in three days. <laughs> so she went to a different hospital. Yeah. Last time I was at a and &E, it, it was an ambulance drop-off. And it was a 17-hour wait. Mm. What ta what day was like? A, was that like a Friday night or a Saturday it night? Was, or? It was a, I think it was a Saturday night, and it was 3 a.m. when the, the ambulance was called. That's the worst. So one we of the worst times in the week. Sunday and then half a Monday. You would think that Friday and Saturday nights 
because we have all this sort of self-inflicted injury mm. occurring at that time. That's yeah. like the, if you had to pick a time to go to A and E, like eleven o'clock on a Monday, I'd want to go. Yeah, but like yeah, two o'clock on a Friday night. Gosh, that's horrific. You can't. There's no drunk tank anywhere, is there? So you can't. You can't really turf turf people out if I have a bit too much. Yeah, and chemical entertainment. <laughs> Then we have this picture, again from a hospital in China. These children are sick. They have been placed on an IV drip, but they're still doing their schoolwork. <laughs> what, was the, what was the thing in, was it Vietnam or Thailand when they were in cages? Oh, uh, during the pandemic, like the per- glass boxes. That was it, boxes. Perspex it? boxes. Wasn't yeah. that China? No, I think it was Thailand or somewhere. Wasn't it the... the um... Yeah, it's stuck them on top them? of the desk, isn't it? It's like Perspex hubs. Oh, oh, right. My favourite was um, this this morning with uh, Phil and Holly where they had a plastic sheet up and they were hugging, they had gloves oh, in yes. the sheet and they were hugging each other through the sheet. Fucking insanity. This looks like a classroom inside a hospital. All of it is quite alarming. But guess what Beijing says? It's not unusual. They released a statement to this effect today. It said that they've not found anything unusual. They found no novel pathogens. That's the key term. No novel pathogens. Mm. This is all uh, existing, extant, well-known, well-characterized bacteria, viruses, and probably fungal infections that are causing all this. Meaning no new virus or bacteria. China is basically saying this is not a new disease. And this is what they've told the WHO, the World Health Organization. But what is causing the surge then? Why are so many children falling sick in China? According to Chinese reports, they're dealing with a perfect storm, a nasty flu season, where multiple diseases are circulating, like influenza and mycoplasma pneumoniae. It is a bacterial infection. So this is China's assurance. But remember, the same China had misled the world in 2019 in a similar fashion. It had played down the Wuhan virus outbreak. When the virus was spreading rapidly, China insisted there was no human-to-human transmission. They lied to the world, and the WHO took their word for it. It was a mistake that cost the world millions of lives. This time, China has shared some data with the WHO, but some experts say it's not good enough. Like Dr. Krutika Kupali. She's an infectious diseases expert and a member of the WHO's health emergency team. Let me quote from what she said. I was very concerned when the first reports of the alert came across at the end of 2019, and I am concerned now. This is China's first winter without a stringent lockdown. and they very concerned when the first reports of the alert came across at the end of 2019, and I am concerned now. This is China's first winter without a stringent lockdown, and they... First winter without a lockdown? Well, for four years or whatever. Is that right? Uh, Are they locking down? Were China doing strict lockdowns last winter? I don't know. I don't. I've got a feeling feeling that they might have been. I think they carried on. Locking down. What was that one with the buildings? They they were screaming from buildings. Was that last year or? I don't know. I think I'm pretty sure that's true. I think. I could be wrong. That probably explains the surge then. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Well, this is one of my, this is like between one and ten of my list of 
uh, unforeseen consequences of locking people down was that children have naive immune systems mm. and part of the thing that they do between the ages of zero and like five is Eat pick up soil and shit. pick up every bug going and develop immunity and when you don't let them do that for four years what is going to be the outcome mm-hmm. it's sick mm. yeah anyway let's leave that though it's depressing Let's watch a crazy TikToker. Unpopular opinion, but I literally think that women should be paid to exist. (laughs) I know y'all are probably going to be like, what? But no, follow me on this. Follow me on this. So one. I was exactly like, what? (laughs) Say what? Women. Based Sigma Chad. Paid to exist. (laughs) exist. Come on. How much? I'm trying to follow him. Like. Sorry, I'll rock it. Unpopular opinion, but I literally think that women should be paid to exist. I know y'all are probably going to be like, what? But no, follow me on this. Follow me on this. So one, like, our bodies literally create life, Mm y'all. Like, that within itself, like, beats any freaking invention that a man can come up with. Like, any tech company. Like, no. No tech company can come up with a baby in my belly um i can't remember who invented the test tube uh insemination <laughs> method but um unless she is the virgin mary she cannot create a life on her own in her belly is this not she biology the... 101 you would have thought by how old is she old, old enough to know um the basics of the base sigma chad so one that's why we should get paid um and then even women who like are have already had children they should still get paid because guess what guess what like the life of a mother like that's a whole job within itself i literally think that we should receive monthly incomes for being women i know that sounds ridiculous but i'm being so serious i'm being so serious being very serious. I don't think she's being serious. What was she, she wiping from her nose? <laughs> Cocaine? <laughs> oh, right. Okay. No? Possibly. Her eyes were wide. Oh, this is the youth of today, I'm afraid. Can I get paid to be a dad? I think you do. Fucking you? patriarchy! <laughs> don't you get child support? No, you can watch Doctor Who and applaud... At, at people being recognised for their pronouns. I didn't applaud Doctor Who. Let's not throw shade at Ben. <laughs> <laughs> He's not as good as Star Trek, Voyager. <laughs> yeah, because that was from the mid-90s, the pinnacle of TV. Yeah, they wouldn't be able to make it the same way now. Well, no, because it's, it's like in 4.3 format. It would I, be mean, that, yeah, I mean, the nine. content, like uh, over-sexualisation of Seven of Nine. Now, put a chick in it and make a gay and lame. You could have a gay seven and nine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> You're not seeing the South Park. With I the, have, uh, yes. Catherine. Yeah, Catherine, what's her name? Put a fucking chicken in and make a gay and lame. That's Disney. Meme. Is it Disney? Or yeah, Star Kathleen Wars, Kennedy. Yeah. Well, Disney, Star Wars, it's all the same, same isn't thing. it? Yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's have a lash, uh, a lash. A, a lash. lash. Let's go on the lash. <laughs> let's go on the lash. I'm halfway there with our Prime Minister, Rashid Sunuk, as Joe Biden calls him, Shlumdog billionaire, uh, failing to use a hammer. 
which poses oh, yes. quite a challenge for Rishi Sunak, who is the fifth Conservative Prime Minister this decade. Now, I see this sort of thing a lot with our our Prime Ministers uh, throughout <laughs> history. The, you know, the, who was the guy who couldn't eat a bacon sandwich? Ed Miliband. Ed Miliband, right. So these basic functions... Yeah, they don't get it, They do don't they? get it at all. I wonder why. Well, is I it, do. Is it the lizard brain? Well, I can't imagine that you have to use a, a hammer at Eaton, do you? Well, no, but he'll have seen... I would have thought he would have seen someone use a hammer by... How old is he? 50-something? Do you think they talk about the, the hammering nails in in the classics, Ben? Hammering something. It's all Greek and Roman, isn't it? As long as you're not the receptacle, it's fine, isn't it? As long as you're not the nail. I don't imagine Rishi lets the builder in. I'm sure one of his, his people does that, and he's exactly, yeah. well out of the way. He won't be in the house, really. Yeah. What was that thing, that clip we played? I have lots of friends. I have friends of middle class, I have friends of working class. Well, obviously not any friends of working class. But yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it completely is detached, detached from reality. Uh, Chris from Sheet Farm sent me this, and the thing that struck me, I sent him a message back saying, why the fuck are his hands so pale? Which poses quite a challenge for Rishi how pale his hands are. Dunak, who is the fifth Gripping Conservative Prime Minister this decade. Even I can hammer better than that. It's pretty shit hammering. What is the ha- what kind of hammer is that? Actually, I think it's a ball and peen hammer. A ball and peen. Call it, in the trade, you call it a toffee hammer. Two balls and a peen. Toffee <laughs> hammer. A toffee hammer. It's for hammering toffees. Yeah, but what's he hammering <laughs> <Toffs>. there? <laughs> it's like a nail. Is he hammering a nail? I think he's hammering a nail, but into like a chunk of metal. What's going on? I don't know. This is very weird. Is this AI generated? It could well be. Which poses quite a challenge for Rishi Sunak. Even she says, come on, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Who is the fifth. What the fuck is he doing? We need the longer clip. We do, don't we? This is from ITV News. Jewel? Jewelry bashing. Making some, yeah, maybe, making yeah. Well, if it was jewel, jewelry, would make sense with the size of the hammer because I have a fretting hammer. Ah, yes, a little, a little brass-tipped hammer for banging frets on guitars, which is a similar size and weight. It's not a bitch whacker. It's a little fretting hammer, a little toffee hammer. Minister this decade. Oh, Helen's got a good take. He, she thinks that he was told to hammer it like that by that lady. Lady has bamboozled him. Well, you've just undone like five minutes of content there, Helen. So, you know. <laughs> well, I'm with her because uh, you do use hammers like that sometimes. Do you? Yeah, I do. What for? Is that like when you go for the long stand? <laughs> Skyhawks. Yeah. Sometimes when yeah when I'm if I need to whack something, I use the side of the hammer rather than the. <laughs> do you not just use your shoe? I'm not going to the garage. <laughs> <laughs> I've used a pair of pliers to hammer. Yeah. Um, is a good one. Lots of things. When when something is a nail, everything is a hammer. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Truer words when they're a spoken child. Sometimes, because all my stuff's right at the bottom of the garden. Or the bottom stuff? What stuff? Like my hammer and my spirit level. Do you got to keep stuff, like variations of stuff, closer to hand? I've got some, I've got some the most used stuff in the kitchen. So you've got yeah. a tape measure in the kitchen? Tape measure, yeah. Drill. I've got a, a mini uh, spirit level, and I've got a, a, a few different sizes of screwdrivers. Yeah, yeah. And a pair of pliers, 
Uh, I think I've got a, a, a miniature socket wrench set as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah in, in the kitchen. Really? But if I need to go down and get one of the proper tools... It's um, a pain in the ass. Yeah, so I just use I just use a pair of pliers or whatever it's to hand and then normally bend it or you want to get yourself up. down to little in the middle aisle and get some little some little park set, tool set. set. Chinese home, tools. Homeowner's tool set for under the stairs. Well the dream was when we when we got rid of the g- garage <laughs> and uh, we moved everything Gosh, in. Of course it sounds like Rizzy Shunak's podcast, yeah, this and, huh? and, and and moved everything in, into the sheet. We, uh, I was going to have one of those, you know, like a, a pin board, and I was going to have outlines of everything. Oh, like school? And it, everything would be up oh, there. Oh, the Kanban system. But now it's just jammed full of shit, basically. So you can't, there's no there's no room on the walls for anything like nice. that. Nice. So now it's just everything's all messed up. Is that a Pokeyoki or a Kanban system? I think it's Pokeyoki where you have the outlines of them. Right, stuff. okay. What do you expect from slags? Well, what do you expect from slags, slags. and 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 puss pimpers? And p- 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 puss pimpers. God, yeah. I'd like to send a text. <laughs> that was right. terrifying. Time's marching on, man. It is. That is fucking ridiculous. God, it's like I know. I've got another headline to do yet. Yeah, I've passed. <laughs> <laughs> We've got another guest. <laughs> uh, and here's Ralph for the second part. Uh, uh, yes, part two. Um, you've got to hand it, I've got to, this is a great clip, we've got to hand it to the continuity announcer for Channel 4, introducing uh, SAS, Who Dares Wins. Listen carefully, people. 16 recruits in an inhospitable landscape next tonight, though, as the country's favourite stars and Matt Hancock all take part <laughs> in Celebrity SAS, Who Dares Wins. Wow. <laughs> That's a baller move. Mm. Good one. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Bye, Ready to go. Bye, bye. Thank you. Bye bye, Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. I'm gonna fuck off into the night. Yes. Come back next week for more. Not less. I think it might be. I think it might be some more old history next week. You know. Is it? Yeah. From this incredible team. They are so good. Lovely. Lovely. You like a bit of pep. Mm. Bit of pep, a bit of gem. A real general doesn't toss balls. He's born with them. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you say, Gem. Yeah, whatever she says. Yes, we'll be back here next week. Um, nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go! No. It's getting late. I'm tired, boss. Yeah. I was tired at 8 o'clock. Oh, no. Yeah. You're both yawning. Early doors. That's fucking knackered. It gets warm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just listening to about Jesus. <laughs> just reminds me of church. <laughs> oh. Are you not entertained? Probably entertained. Yeah. It will be back next week. We'll be there. We'll be there. We will. Yeah. You dirty bitches. Oh, God. Uh, right, see you next week. Bye. Sonara, sayonara. You pussy butts. I got it, I got it. You're growlers. We're looking at you, growlers. Close your legs. Stop being snatched. Clean yourself up, you dirty little rats. You chicken livered shits. Chicken livered shits. Oh,
are a bunch of chicken livered shits. Anna El Etifaki, see you soon. You're a big chungus. Building back better. Based Sigma Chad. Thank you for watching. And these guys, I mean, they're having fun now, but my goodness, they've also got a dark side. I was in foot him uh, foot, foot excuse me, foot. It is bonkers. Oh my god, he's wiping his ass. No. I think you're hitting hitting the point, Phil, that uh, <clears throat> uh and it really bothers me. Uh uh because I, I believe I, I have an issue in this respect. <coughs> I'll come out into the front yard and the dogs were across the road. And as soon as they saw me, they came bounding over. <coughs> and I just made it into the front door in time. I was petrified. That's it, man. Game over, man. This is game over. It's a fucking freak show. These humorless podcasts.